This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Dan Baltic. This is Matt Pegas. And this is episode 32 of New Right. And we are very um, honored to have the good old boys on the pod to uh, discuss the uh, illustrious artist, actor, a martial artist, indeed, Jean-Claude Van Damme and his movies. And um, yeah, no, we um, just to uh, give a little intro in case our listeners are not familiar with you guys, though I'm sure many, if not most of them are, the, uh, the good old boys. You guys have been, I think uh, your pod started in like 2019 and uh, it's on Patreon it's on, uh, you, you stream on Twitch once per week. And um, it's a politics and kind of culture roundup. And honestly, one of, um, one of my favorite pods to listen to. I am a patron. And um, yeah, why don't uh, you guys tell us a little bit about your, uh, yourself? Well, we started the podcast in 2019, like you said, and the politics and culture thing is so, by this point, you know, so overdone. But what the thing that we really added was we don't enunciate. And we were the only people who had a podcast who didn't enunciate at the time. And I was, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Patreon.com slash good old boys, G-O-D-O-L-B-O-Y-Z. So. What do we, uh, it's a podcast. So it, it, I think we are uh, a mixed mode. So we do, we like, uh, so every, every week there's a radio show that is basically, I mean, we, I mean, we treat it just like this is, you know, the radio. Uh, then there is just normal podcasts, etc. cetera. Uh, also um, uh, must, uh, must brag. Cause we are on the new right podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are in the, uh, 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 we were na- we've been named in the uh, uh, the article that that sort of declared right. yeah. the media declaring war on the on the new right. We were uh, we got on the, on the list somehow. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean maybe, maybe it was radical Yarvin interview. I don't know. Which is that's where I was introduced to you guys was was your interview with Yarvin. Uh, obviously, that article was was kind of Yarvin focused. So, so maybe that's how I, I feel like it was like they just like looked at every pod Yarvin had gone on or something. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you guys are definitely catching on on your own outside of that sphere, though. Like you've been on Fed Post, you guys, like you guys, really are like getting around. And I, I think they uh, slandered you as gamers, I believe. 
Yeah, I, I I heard a rumor from someone that knows someone that knows someone that knows someone that said the the writer. Uh, I don't I don't think they they're like a a big listener or whatever, but that they enjoyed listening, and so that oh, I guess you that helped. In that article, like you could tell that like they're they're trying to be critical, but they actually liked a lot of the scene they were talking about, especially you guys, perhaps. Now, yeah, now you said slandered as a gamer, but in the research that I did for this podcast episode, we find out in 1988's Bloodsport that Van Damme is a gamer. In he the, damn in the well the is. Movie, in the start of the movie, he destroys the nerds guy in the arcade game. So I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. by the way. He's you're, a good you're gamer. So, I mean, we would be so much... Uh, the, the gamers are like the... Um, that is the elite compared to uh, uh, politics people. I mean, politics... Yeah. If you talk about politics, you're in the gutter compared to uh, uh, gamer people. I mean, there there are people... Um, that, like, the amount of people that listen to stuff about politics is just uh, uh, super small compared to the amount of people that are, that are interested well, yeah, uh, you, gaming stuff. you burn out on politics. I think it's one of the reasons like Dan and I, we have political interests. We talk about politics on this show, but we never, I don't think either of us in a million years ever would have started a politics podcast. We started a literature podcast because it's always so much more <laughs> interesting to, to get to the politics through something else as opposed to vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. You need like a take on politics to really make it work. And even then every take is kind of done. Like, like you guys, like you have the Southern perspective and like, I mean, crucially, like one of the things that I think makes your pod so great is you have each other and the rapport. And like, that is one of the things that like, I think really draws people to like any pod is like, you want to like feel like you're hanging out with people you like. And so like, yeah, like it's, you know, you, you guys are doing a good job there. Thanks. That, that's a hundred percent true. I'm mm-hmm. super thankful for that. So like, we have like a, a, a cheat, like a hack. Cause I like, cause I know a lot of people are, uh, see the thing is, you know, in terms of like, I don't think anyone like, uh, would come listen to either us, either of us lecture about politics. That is more of like the kind of people you get guests on and stuff, you know, these professors and, and things yeah. like that. And so a lot of podcasts are people like that. They just like they're good at lecturing about politics or whatever, and they just meet up and they're like, okay, let's do podcasts. But but I think our advantage is so I, me and Merrick, we've known each other for uh, like a long time since we were little kids. So we, uh, uh, I, to me, it feels like being uneasy. But when I hear about all the drama that goes on on all these different podcasts and Mm -hmm. people stabbing each other back, well, that that's basically impossible for us. So there's uh, and also we can. We can actually have arguments because I don't know if you've seen. So people, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not saying anything wrong about it, but people are, are, are like, <laughs> if you're the guy, if you're like a professor or something, or you write articles uh, with a certain political view, and you get into like a debate or something, uh, you know, uh, that brings on all these feelings. You you must like if you lose the debate, people are like, wow, that guy's <laughs> idiot. He's he's not smart anymore. You're gonna lose everything. Uh, I don't know if you've seen like all the drama that comes with like um, all these bread tube debates and stuff. Uh, but like we don't have like uh, me and Merrick, I can say you no hell you're you're an idiot. I don't agree with that at all, <laughs> and there's no problem. Uh, so yes, it does feel it feels like we you know we're playing on easy mode in that way. I would say that for anybody thinking about doing a podcast about like politics or any kind of contentious issue, like you need to get somebody that you're legitimately friends with. 
because yeah. otherwise what he said is going to happen. You're going to have a disagreement. And if, if people are just a bunch of mercs who barely know each other, they're going to start throwing each other under the bus and it's going to become absolutely. Nice. Yeah. You, uh, you guys, uh, you know, you make it look easy. So (laughs) (laughs) a little little inside joke there for your listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean the best example. So, uh, like my whole thing is patronage, right? So I talk about this all the time. It's my favorite thing. We have episodes where Merrick's like, I think patronage is bullshit. We can do that. It's no problem. Um, yeah. You mean like on Patreon patronage or? No, is the political concept of patronage. Basically, oh. it's kind of like um, it's so what it's similar to, but 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 the difference is more important. So you ever heard of people that are like, follow the money, yeah. right? So the way to understand politics is find out who donated what to where. So instead of that, it's it's basically following relationships in this kind of feudal way, this kind of a, uh, ancient Rome way and stuff like that. But yeah. You can sum it up really easily for your listeners that the, the point of politics is to take things from your political enemies and give them to your political allies. That's it. Absolutely. That's yeah. Okay. It's that simple. Based and Clyburn filled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Clyburn makes it uh, easy. Plus, the, you know, the Clyburn thing uh, has come up lately because part of his, one of his big bases is this like, uh, like the, the Gullah industrial yeah. complex. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Cl- Clyburn is, is like this old, you know, he's like a thousand years old. So he comes from an era when you didn't have to be, um, so like who are AOC's, uh, patrons and clients? I don't like, you know, it does, it, it's all very, very, um, abstract. Yeah, they're they're my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I live yeah. in New York. <laughs> whereas, whereas like when Clyburn signs a bill, he's like, I, so I added this to this bill to give to you, and it makes it. I don't know. He he just makes it Re- easy. Remember when Trump sent us sent us all those checks that he put his name on it and signed right. it? That that yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah, and you know, very interesting that like obviously like patronage and you know Roman history and politics like are tied together, and like that's like a very like you know if if you're gonna do a, a pod on patronage. Like ancient Rome, like hell, everyone's talking about it right now, and I mean, it definitely provided grist for the mill with uh, Yarvin. Yeah, everybody's given pill now. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I've seen. It's all this. Uh, so Roman stuff is. It seems to be offering. It's it's blowing up uh, lately or whatever. I have always been just specifically obsessed with the story of Caesar. I have uh, there's people that that are serious classics people that have heard our Caesar episodes that that uh, uh, think that they're they're good. I think they're good. I don't. There's no reason why they wouldn't be. I've spent a zillion hours, and also I just really really enchanted with the story of Julius Caesar. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to be too controversial here, but like how I mean, like I I love Caesar too, but like you're you're Scots Irish, I believe. He, uh, you know, like when I'm reading about him, I'm like, fuck, this guy genocided my, my people. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Here comes I mean, like, very attenuated indeed. Then we're talking about like 2,500 years ago. So, so it's kind of interesting. So one of the, the funny things that, um, so, you know, he has this, he has this misadventure in, um, in England would say. So he's like the first guy to, to cross, cross the channel, with an army, it doesn't really last long, but I mean, he just needed to like say he did it. 
what's like what's you can tell afterwards is that like so you know the roman army he's got all these like local scouts and like all these auxiliary troops there were people that were with him like as his auxiliary troops that like had that were that lived in england and basically they just didn't tell him they're just like oh wow we're gonna go across uh, go across the channel oh this is this is spooky mysterious but they knew everything that was going on the the these um these celtic peoples were way more uh advanced than than the romans really understood interesting yeah well i mean i'm i'm happy he you know he, he let a few of them go <laughs> so <laughs> so we could be here <laughs> um but yeah no there um was, there's no point where he where he's like uh uh i mean so the deal when caesar comes to town especially that time is he, he kind of offers a better deal to the locals, whether they're, I mean, in my opinion, but in, I think in most people's opinion, you can see how successful he was. Caesar, the Roman guy comes to town, uh, like he's offering to be your manager instead of whoever your tribal chief is. Most of these tribal chief uh, arrangements weren't that great at the time. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. I don't really get, get into that. But. <laughs> no, it's interesting stuff for sure. I mean, also very interesting. I think the, and uh, yeah, not to like after this to get to Van Dam, <laughs> but <laughs> um, the, uh, the Britons, uh, not to get to like, you know, skull measure or whatever, but I think they were a different ethnic group than the Celts, right? The native inhabitants of the British Isles. I'm not sure they were, or if they were Celts, they were different than the Gauls. Yeah, I, 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 I don't really know. To, to, the, to the Roman, there's basically um, to the Roman, there's basically Celts and Germans, and that's it. Uh, and now the only, the only people he was like sort of openly, um, uh, like he talked, he kind of talked shit about Germans a lot. But uh, but I mean, in a way of like, there, Germans were a real fear for Romans. They, I mean, they they had not only, but of course, Celts had showed up and and did all kinds of raiding and stuff like that too. But Germans were, were a real fear uh, for the Romans. Yeah. You, you guys think the, the, the common mistake is the idea that the Romans built Hadrian's wall to keep the, the Scott, the Caledonians out. But the, the real, the truth is they, they looked forward in time and saw that it would be important to build a wall to keep the Germans out of, <laughs> out of Northern uh, Great Britain. So they, they knew what they were doing foresaw the um the migrations uh yeah so maybe we uh we launch into the van dam of it all um so yeah we we've prior to this i was listening to a good old boys episode because i'm a patron and um a regular listener and i think bog you mentioned that um you would wanted to do a good old boys episode on Van Damme and his movies. And maybe it was like a casual aside and not serious, but I heard it and I was like, fuck yeah, we got to do a good old boys Van Damme retrospective on you. Right. And so that's where the, uh, the, the damn good time with the good old boys episode was born. <laughs> and um, yeah. So Van Damme obviously is, you know, a, um, an eighties action hero. And so, you know, prior to this, we watched blood sport, which is probably his most famous movie. It's the movie. Like when people think of Van Damme, you, you know, and you, there's a scene in your mind, it probably came from blood sport. 
we also, or at least some of us watched kickboxer and double impact. So we are all like, we're all, you know, gassed up for uh, Van Damme <laughs> right now. Got a, a lot of that in us. And um, so we, we wanted to talk about, I guess, first off, action movies. This, this is the new right. It is a, uh, a right-wing culture podcast. We want to talk about how action movies are, uh, or, or if they are, to inherently right-wing. Yeah. And my sense here is that action movies generally, like the premise has to involve either, it has to involve the use of violence, of course, it's an action movie, and it's the use of violence to typically avenge or protect. And right. that is a culturally conservative instinct. This is not like, uh, well, we better leave this to the state. We better, uh, you know, oh, well, they, you know, killed my parents, but they probably had bad childhoods. No, <laughs> no. In, in an action movie, your parents get killed and you're like, um, you know, well, now I'm the fucking Terminator and I got to avenge them. And so, yeah, that's uh, certainly these Van Damme movies follow that, you know, plot line. But um what do you guys think are action movies to skip it to skip ahead a little bit but i think it all belongs in the same place to an overarching theme i think to think about this kind of stuff would be a so uh being a violent person we'll just say just work with me here being a violent is bad being an honorable person is good being a good being an honorable violent person is best uh yes we we are we uh, so you know you can't opt out of violence altogether this is why everyone at all times through all human history uh you are sort of subject to, you're sort of subject to the whims of the violent people well, whoever that is you know what is the government the government is simply the the biggest most violent people on the block right. and you pay them taxes uh, like this is easier to see in more primitive situations. Um, and, but I think that's, that's a good place to start. It's a gang. It's like, I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jack Donovan. I think I tweeted about him earlier today. Uh, Jack Donovan, he wrote the way of men, He's kind of, um, right wing social theorist. Sorts. Yeah. Masculinist. <laughs> he, uh, social theorist uh, masculine. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so his conception is that you know, society is basically, it's, it is inherently patriarchal and, uh, it's most basic unit of society is the gang. And, in a sense, yeah, a government, you know, viewed through this lens, and I think there's a lot of, you know, um, validity in it, a, a government is really just an organized gang, a very well-organized gang. Yeah, <laughs> or, or perhaps not so well-organized anymore. Or perhaps not so sclerotic, breaking down, yeah, right. down gang. Now, like it, now, the thing about this is, is, like, this does not have anything to do with, like, at this point in the, in the conversation, uh, or, or at this point in, like, the, the morality thing, this has nothing to do with, like, uh, like Aristotle thinking about like what is ideal, whatever. The reason why the like uh, we all the philosophy comes after because at this point the the reason why it has to be is because violence beats everything, right? Mm -hmm. So you you can't you there's no other way about it. Like you someone is going to be in charge and they're going to be do you get there through violence. So 
you know, whatever you do afterwards, like, how, you know, all these things like chivalry or police or governments, whatever you can, you can do to philosophize that comes after what you must accept is that violence beats everything. Right. Absolutely. It's before, I mean, it's like the Jordan Peterson thing. Like before you can be a, a good man, you have to be able to be a monster. And like, exactly. Like if you're, if you're turning the other cheek out of cowardice, well, that's not really turning the other cheek, is it? So. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and uh, it goes back to themes that from our early episodes, Dan, with, yeah, we used to bring up that Jordan Peterson quote that you have to be a monster before you can be a good man. And even the Mike mod. So I just listened to the, I don't know if you guys are, are Mike Ma fans or, or I'm sure he's on your radar in some capacity, but we did our first episode about harassment, or harassment architecture and Gothic violence, especially perhaps Gothic violence. Cause when it came out last summer, that's around the time we were starting up. And I just listened to the audiobook version of that. And I was kind of reminded of the parts where he gets into like, basically the, the violent people always win the people who are willing to use force and use violence and even at times, you know, be unfair and use trickery that always is going to the people who are willing to do that will always win out in any, uh, you know, kind of primal, not even or any, 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 any situation of conflict, basically, so that, you know, now the position that we're in is, you know, you have people, social people appeal to socially conservative values or civility, uh, but they are the, the the theory being that in the long run they are always going to will out win, lose out to who, whomever comes in and is willing to bend the rules, use force, take what they want. Yeah. So we have this episode um, called uh, "Philosophy versus Hot Lead," which is oh, I love uh, that one. <laughs> thanks. I, I listened to it back. I, I don't recommend it because I, I went and listened to it back. I was like, God, this is before we got our audio in shape. But, <laughs> but the you know, DIY. But, and this is kind of like a uh, the idea of this. And I, when you ask people directly about about the the like what this kind of thing would mean, and we certainly did. I don't know where I got that idea. That's just kind of like the ideas in there are kind of things that are I don't know things we would say common sense or, or whatever. But uh, you know the idea. But but it would be radical to uh, to uh, to politics people because a lot of hay is made about the French Revolution. There's a, oh, there's a, a hundred million books about is it class warfare and is it you know is it the, this or that or Christianity etc. Uh, where like more than likely the only thing that is the, the French Revolution happened because of innovation and violence because uh you know there, there's you know this gunpowder get got mixed with with this kind of like uh, industrial process to make a, a tube that we call a gun and now there's a reality that just uh, 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 any almost any 18 to 25 year old can deliver a lot of violence and so now that like the class system will change it just will like it doesn't matter what books you write or or what you or, or you know what you know these these ridiculous costumes of 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 these great kings or whatever i love all this monarchy stuff but the fact is like you you you're not you're not up there you're not this great king anymore once the gun enters yeah. the world that's fascinating. Uh, absolutely. It's almost like, and this is sounds reductive, but it's almost like the French Revolution happened because it could, <laughs> you know? It's yes. like once, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, so, so, you know, the system that the, that the French Revolution overthrew was, came about the same way. 
you know, the 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 reason why you had these great great nobles or whatever is because you, uh, you, you know, the feudalism happened because you, you, the, the Roman Empire falls. Uh, you, people need protection, etc. All then, you know, if, if you read Nietzsche or whatever, the things that he likes the most, the period of history that he likes the most, is basically the same thing but reverse. The the period of time he likes is when they're basically uh, plate metal armor gets to this certain gets to this level where a, a a knight can be like a Superman. Like he the could. French fight. Revolution yeah. happened like three hundred years after the introduction of the firearm. What what are we talking about here? Okay, but <laughs> yeah, but, but right, but but you have like uh, uh, all these different technologies coming together to produce it on a mass scale. Like, well, like I think we also. Well, mass mobilization became possible around the yeah. era of the French Revolution. Like yeah. prior to that, you had like, you know, smaller kind of ragtag armies, but like it was right, like Napoleon's army was the first like, you know, mass mobilization. And then it was just like, they just beat everyone because it's like, oh yeah, well, we're going to make everyone fight. <laughs> and it's like, well, we never thought of this. Uh, if, 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 you were trying to, if you were trying to look for a, a sing, like a, like a monocausal, reason for the french revolution it wouldn't be gunpowder it would be the printing press because mm -hmm. the, the, the french yeah. revolution is the beginning of hard, hard mass disagree. society hard, hard disagree that? like I, I i totally disagree so when you when you're <laughs> like you're, what makes you a knight is gone once uh you have lots and lots of guns it, it just is they had been it had been gone for hundreds of years by the time the french revolution actually happened Oh, okay. Well, whatever. It's a breaking. It's a breaking point, and and I think that's that's what it was. I can't remember exactly. I have to 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 go back. It it wasn't rifling and stuff, but uh, either way, like it, it was some. I I believe that it was that it was just purely technological advances and violence. But it, it, let's 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 just keep let's keep moving. Or I'm uh, sorry. Delete that part if if you do. No, 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 it's I want to see. I think it's a combination of the two, right? Yeah, Technological advances plus this new ideology that prizes, you know, like, oh yeah, no, king shouldn't tell you what to do. We all have, you know, rights that we're born with, and you know, so you should listen to the emperor. <laughs> right, well, but now, so, now so you have it, a way this. this the Sun King was like the he's like the model of the absolute monarch, right? Like the the yeah. peak of like towards the end of his reign when he's in trouble, he basically had to beg the French people, the French people, the peasants for help to, in, in the in the war that his last wars he was fighting, like that by itself <clears throat> changed the game a lot. And uh, by the way, they they did people donated their money to to the royal coffers and people uh, and it. On the enlisted, whatever, signed up to, to, to fight in his war. And that was a kind of new phenomenon for uh, absolute monarchy. Like, if you, were, if you really wanted to, like, I would say, like, na yeah, we're getting too far afield. Like, na yeah, like nation nationalism, the 30 Years' War, all these things had a lot more to do with the French Revolution and modern society than. Gun, gunpowder, like all the changes that gunpowder wrought had had already been had already been factored in by the time of the French Revolution. Yeah, so maybe a sufficient but not necessary, or a necessary but not sufficient cause, right? Like without guns, you know, this wouldn't have happened. But like, it needed an extra push. It needed the ideology. It needed the kind of ferment in the classes, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. 
there, there's a chicken there's a chicken and egg thing and also there is uh, uh there's there's matters of degrees because this this kind of thing was contemplated and maybe could have happened under the crossbow the crossbow sort of did the same thing where like suddenly like what it's about is like the you know like a 19 year old male is a different thing with a crossbow than he than with crossbows available than when when there he's not yeah. now with a gun it's even more but it's there but let's but uh going back to the are are these movies uh, natu uh naturally right wing uh so one one thing that's funny to just start out with Bloodsport is in fact donald trump's favorite movie <laughs> damn it really? love it love it <laughs> oh wait i've heard that like he he watches it and fast forwards to the fights which is like really valid like that's the best part of the movie so <laughs> son of a bitch you beat me to it i have the quote the quote here there was a, a article somebody wrote in i don't know the times or whatever when they traveled I don't have with the them quote. It, it, in the night in the late 90s somebody took a flight with him talking about whatever you talk about Donald Trump in 1997, and they said he's on the plane and he's watching the John Travolta movie Michael, which had just come out. He says within 20 minutes Trump gets bored and he gets his son, his son Eric Trump, to bring the copy of Bloodsport on VHS and put it in. And then Donald Trump orders his son to fast forward through all the dialogue and only watch the, <laughs> quote get this two and a half this two hour movie down to 45 minutes. We just he watches nothing but the fighting, and then uh, the the it's funny because the the guy who wrote the article, you, he's a reporter. You can imagine what what kind of guy he is, and uh, yeah. he, he said he laughed yeah. at the scene when Van Damme nut punches the giant guy. Trump <laughs> goes, admit it, you're laughing. You want to write that Donald Trump was loving this ridiculous Jean Claude Van Damme movie, but are you willing to put in there that you were loving it too? End quote. Oh, that's a great line. It is a great line. I had no concept of that. I'm almost glad I didn't because I would have gone in like, oh, this is Trump's favorite movie. Uh, but, you know, I watched it without that. But now knowing that, um, very, very, very interesting. And, and, and it makes sense, the kind of the 80s thing and the, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, like this thing. was like, yeah. he's an 80s guy. This was like, this was a one of the movies in the 80s for guys. And yeah. like... I think this is a really good point with the nut punch thing to move on to honor because <laughs> I mean, that's by, a, by the way, that, that nut punch gave birth to Johnny cage. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, right. exact, that's all it took to create Johnny cage. Yeah. So dis despite Bob beef constantly talking about it, I had never seen this movie. I had never seen kickboxer. I thought I had seen double impact, but I hadn't. I had seen Time Cop because inexplicably there are two Jean-Claude Van Damme movies where he teams up with Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I saw all these movies for the first time, like after you guys contacted three. me. Uh, I'm jealous. I wish there's I could three? watch them for there's the first time. I, I, I think so. It, one, one thing I just tell people <laughs> just straight, like before anything else with the, the Van Damme thing, like it, like just accept and it's okay that like uh, Bloodsport is going like, is going to be bigger and better than like everything else. That doesn't mean that like the other stuff isn't good too. It's kind of, uh, with Kung Fu movies, you have the same thing with enter the dragon, but, but Bloodsport is just really towers over everything. And, and that's okay. Like you could, you're still gonna be able to enjoy the other movies, but just tell, like, tell me straight up, like nothing is going to be as good as Bloodsport. Well, I mean, du double impact is shot better than Bloodsport by a long shot. Like it's not a bad I mean, movie. like, it's a technically better movie, but like it's not a better movie. That would be my take. 
Bloodsport is more fun. Yeah, but like Donald Trump had to write about Bloodsport. You need to just fast forward through all the dialogue. <laughs> just watch John Claude Van Damme and uh, uh, was it uh, shoot was it Bo- Young Bo- Bola Young? How do you pronounce uh, it? Bolo, Bolo, yeah, Bola Young. Yeah. Which one's Bola Young? The, the uh, he's the Chinese guy with the oh right, yeah, yeah, Chinese Chinese Achilles, yeah, the Chinese Goliath, really. Yeah, yeah. Okay, another another thing of the one of the reasons why you can't really replicate or Okay, so the blood sport is is really important in a way that's like kind of bizarre, kind of like uh, so like the Matrix or whatever. Uh, the mm-hmm. Matrix just had a massive influence on on, on culture, etc. People are still talking about red pills and all this all this kind of shit. Uh, blood sport, same way. So uh, I mean, so you know, later on, John Claude Van Damme is playing Guile in Street Fighter. Street Fighter does not happen without uh, like in the same way as without Bloodsport. Bloodsport has just a huge, huge impact on American culture and there's so many, uh, so, so many things uh, from it. Absolutely. And it like, it plays into like to get back to the nut punch of it all. It plays into the, the eighties kind of sensibility of like, um, where are the good guys? We play by the rules. Well, okay, maybe maybe not with that nut punch, but like in, in general, they uh, like there's a real distinction between the guys in Bloodsport, Van Dam, and even Jackson who play by the rules, fight honorably, and then like Chang Li, the his antagonist, the, the Chinese Goliath, who at the end, like sorry guys, we got to do spoilers. At the end, throws like a blinding agent in Van Dam's face. And like, you know, and generally just like is, you know, he's not playing fair and square. And like, that's an interesting, I mean, it builds off of what we just said, right? Where, you know, first you have to be good at being a man. So first you have to be good at fighting. That's the only way you get into the Kumite. You have to be good at being a man. And, and then being fighting is being a man in many senses. And after that, like it then, well, then character becomes more of an issue, I think. And like the, you know, in a very kind of heavy handed way, they demonstrate it. Like, you know, if you're going to throw blinding agents in, you know, the eyes of the guy who you're supposed to be fighting fair and square, like that's not honorable. But going off of a recent pod that you guys did, I think Marek or, or maybe it was you, Bob, you quoted someone who said, uh, if, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And like, to a certain extent, like how much is cheating dishonorable and if not, okay, yes, it is dishonorable, but is it unmanly? That's, I well, think that's an interesting question. It is. So, so uh, the, by, the, what, by the way, so this, this is outside of this, uh, another thing to just set up the importance of things we're talking about, uh, UFC did $900 billion last year and there is no UFC <laughs> without blood sport. There's True. no UFC without blood mm. sport. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the Dark quote continue. about if, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying was from the NFL. I think it was from a Raiders player. Uh, like that that when that guy was talking about cheating, he's talking about like are are you playing dirty? You know, are are you are you punching somebody in the kidneys at, at the bottom of the pile? You know, or if you're playing basketball, you're throwing elbows and stepping on people. Like uh, I I heard one time I don't know if it's true or not. When 90s basketball players were polled asking who the dirtiest player in the NBA was, a lot of them said John Stockton. And I don't know if you guys are <laughs> basketball fans, but he's like a 6'1". I know who Stockton six, is, yeah. Yeah, 6'1", yeah, nice little Catholic boy. 
his deal was he played in the NBA for 20 years and just played at a really high level the whole time. And, and they said, you know, he, he seemed like a nice guy, but, you know, when the refs weren't looking, he'd be you – know, you'd catch elbows from him in the ribs and stuff like that. That's – that to me, that's what, like, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying means. Like, what, what like, Bolo does in, 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 at the end of blood <laughs> sport here, – here's, here's the difference, okay? Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bolo are both powerful in the movie, extremely powerful, but – Morally, Bolo's weak, and you can tell it at the end because he he's given up on trying to beat Jean Claude Van Damme. His strength, he, with yeah. his strength, so he he just has to. He's, he's scared, so he's trying to yeah. to you know protect his pride by doing something like. There's no way. There's no way you can say that throwing some of somebody's eyes is, is is honorable. Like even by the rules of the of you know the kumite or whatever that would be illegal so punching somebody nuts i don't think that's illegal in the kumite right it's just full true contact, no right? you can do it yeah yes so i think that's, that's the difference. Like, more, like morally one is one is strong and one is weak and that's in in all of van damme's movies that like it comes it seems to come back to that like it's not that he's the strongest guy physically although he is also that he's the strongest guy morally so uh one thing to go go back to if you ain't cheating you ain't trying uh i had never heard i had always heard of this in terms from nascar and uh, i looked it up and the oldest i can find that anyone said it is richard petty hell yeah who won a lot uh cheating in in motorsports is is uh i mean it's just really really common they they did some funny stuff but um uh, i mean so i i'm uh, uh uh, one of the things I talk about all the time is kind of these Machiavelli and stuff. So I, I think you have a duty to to cheat, uh, et cetera. Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, really, it, it just goes down to the the object, the goal of things. Uh, there, if you like, if you you know, in terms of, of politics or whatever, um, you know, being honorable as a politician to me is dishonorable. Because your personal honor means nothing. You aren't like you. You should. It's like being an attorney. An attorney should use every dirty trick in the in the book. Because why? Because it's it's not really you. You are a you are an instrument that right. through, the, which other people work through, or you know these other people that are depending on you. Uh, you be you could you do dirty things on on their yeah. behalf. Uh, that that makes you even better, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, you 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 take the fall uh, on behalf of your people. Now it depends on it depends on what your goal is. You know, it, it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, most like by the way, you know, most big fights and stuff like that. By the way, I talked. I brought up the um, the UFC did 900, uh, 900 billion, 900 million, uh, nine hundred billion dollars. Well, billion? Are you sure? That's, nine, that's UFC, a lie. <laughs> UFC is believed to compromise the lion's share of the own sports property segment. With some estimates of 2021 revenues, the 900 billion dollar range. Uh, so, you know, going, you know, most fights, by the way, uh, the money is set up beforehand. I mean, so you know, it just depends on what you're trying to do. You know, if Michael Jordan, or you know, a, 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 if an athlete cheats to win the Super Bowl or something, I mean, there's no, the only, there's no, the end game is kind of like the actual, the actual game or whatever. If you are punching people at the nuts uh, at, at a pickup uh, game at, at the YMCA, then you're, you're effing up. 
Jean-Claude depends- Van Damme is not Machiavellian, by the way. He's the opposite of that. Like, you, he would BTFO you for what you're saying. Like the whole point of, of honorable conduct is like, what would happen if everybody behaved this way? If everybody decided they weren't trying, if they weren't cheating? Well, every match in the Kumite starts with some guy going pocket sand and just like throwing <laughs> shit the side. It would, it would, it would be bad. Like no, nobody would, nobody would want to participate in that or watch it. It would be a horrible movie. Like that's why <laughs> Van Damme suffers in the movie because he, he, he won't do that. Like that, that's the lesson. So like, okay. But the lesson I think people should take is that so things like sports and stuff uh, are different than real things. Uh, so yeah. you like one thing. Uh, so if you look at every military in the world, basically everything that people look up to in the military, the Navy SEALs, the Mongols, all this stuff, like 100 percent of it, the, the people that, that, that are do the greatest in military history. So, you know, what, what do the SEALs do? They sneak around. What, what did the Mongols do? The Mongols special technique was running away. They had some special way oh, they yeah. ran away and they still shot you 100. Like uh, there, there's no, there's no, there's no prizes for like good conduct in, uh, or this kind of like good sportsmanship in real conflict. In real conflict, you need to win and you need to suck up that you're going to have to do things that that, that are that, that are uncomfortable, etc. Et or or you even you maybe you you'll have to do things that uh are are, are But like you know, you would never say like uh, uh feeding the enemy wrong intelligence is is this like if this was if this was a game, if this was sports and you have and the United and uh, the West has intercepted one hundred percent of the Vermox uh, uh communications uh you know, the Enigma machine, that would be very dishonorable. You're cheating. You're finding out what their plans are ahead of time, but it's not cheating in real conflict. Yeah. I mean, it's what you might call an, an inconvenient truth for someone with quote unquote socially conservative values. Cause a lot of people, a lot of people who have what would be considered, you know, conservative values, maybe, you know, you, you want to value both power and the military, but also honor and nobility and, and all these other virtues but it's an inconvenient truth as you're saying bog that um basically in in the real world uh people who are willing to fight dirty and willing to cut corners cheat etc do end up getting ahead so i think it's just a, a tension and a conflict for people who are you know again on the right side of the aisle or conservative uh to kind of reconcile one fact you know hold, holding to things that most of us agree are are good and fine you know honor nobility codes of conduct while also recognizing that the, the 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 like the reality and the reality of war and just reality in general is much more chaotic than that and it's something that you have to adjust to and cope with um i i see that a lot of people sort of in our sphere more so than like mainstream conservatism i think are better able to sort of uh deal with um deal with that kind of issue people like bap and and even some of the old manosphere guys are, are very much uh in, enmeshed in, in that way of thinking where it's like yes you know yes you might value uh more traditional values but at the same time like you know you have to be red-pilled about just the way things work and what what what's going to get you ahead even like some of the pua guys with the you know, the way women are and stuff. It's, it's a lot of it is kind of being willing to grapple with the sort of darker underbelly of things. Well, uh, here, 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 no, here's the problem. Here's the problem. 
I say, this is the way you get ahead. You guys both said that. Well, yeah, that is that is the way you get ahead in, in Machiavelli's world. That's the way you get ahead in the world of the foxes. But eventually, the time of the foxes ends and the lions come back. And that's and like this. Like if we're talking, if we're adhering to the you know the the structure of this the show or whatever, like Van Damme's not a fox in any of in any of his roles, right? He is a, unabashedly a lion. He he he, he, is, he wears his heart on his sleeves. You know exactly what he says is what's what he's going to do. And in the movie, especially in like uh, the the two worst movies, Kickboxer and Double Impact, like he's going against people who who aren't you know direct and and powerful people like like uh, like Bolo and Bloodsport. Like in Double Impact, it's like this weird. Hong Kong British cabal of of I, I guess are they, are they real estate guys or whatever and uh, yeah the, the, like the, gangsters the, basically the problem with this is, is like yeah this is how you get ahead until it's not how you get ahead anymore and like if, if I, I always I really strongly dislike these people who who lay out these takes about like how well you got, you need, you really need to take the pill on and behaving like underhandedly and doing all this stuff. And actually the, the values that the, the real way to protect these values you care about is to subvert them. No, it's, I mean, no, it's not. That's, mm. that's more Fox bullshit, right? It, it's ultimately. Okay. Well, okay. So, uh, uh, all right. So you've seen, um, so you, uh, so you guys brought up the, the fact that, that this was not a traditionally view of the right. And it was more of this this uh, dissonant right stuff. Well, now I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Chris Rufo in, in particular. He leaked some like a paper of his, uh, but more of just in general. Chris wrote Chris Rufo has definitely adopted uh, uh, the the fox the fox technique. Yes, I I would say so to an extent, but like. I don't think he's really not calling it the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> like not, not to get us, you know, uh, you know, canceled so he, or whatever, but not, I don't think they can cancel that, it. Right. That latest thing but. that came out, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's pointing to the stands like Babe Ruth and the college, like we're going to come in with a sword and just rip apart the bureaucracy and replace them with our people. That's not like Machiavelli. And oh, that's not, no, you, you have to give, you have to give something on this because he, he's, he's, he's said that we need to uh, weasel words and stuff. And, and, and other right-wing people said, I don't know if you can, if, if, if you, if you can do this, if this might be too far. Uh, people said he's, he's an Alinsky, Alinsky uh, Republic. Uh, you have to give me something on this. There's something, no, no, there's some know, that's true. Between that's this, true. This like, and, and, and um, uh, I think there's well, the, the distinction or the, the kind of low-key debate he's had with Andrew Sullivan, where Andrew Sullivan is like, well, not all of them are groomers. And he's like, uh, well, I, I, I guess, but, um, you know, many of them are. So, <laughs> you know, in the interests of like actually advancing our goals, I, I don't think we need to, you know, be super whatever. And I wouldn't say that's being like underhanded exactly. It's just like, it's pointing to like, there is like a large segment of, you know, this coal coalition that has, you know, certain, you know, uh, you know, I, I think um, unnatural or, uh, you know, or, you know, uh, immoral, uh, you know, ideas and like, I'm just calling them on it and like, oh, okay. If like, if that's like, you know, painting things with a broad brush, like, well, by how else are you supposed to communicate really? Mm -hmm. So 
Merrick, do you, do you do you think uh, a Marine Corps sniper is that a fox or a lion? He's a guy in war, shooting people and being shot at. Yes, 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 yes. Is is he a lion or is he a fox? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he, a lion. Okay, well, uh, well, then we must have a definition thing here because, uh, you know, what 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 defines a sniper? A sniper is a guy who hides. He's hiding, right? He's not coming out and saying, uh, I, I'm here, you know, come and get me. He hides in the dirt for days at a time to get a sneaky bullshit shot on an officer. I mean, what, whatever, whatever we call that, whatever we call that, that's, that's what I'm for. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, like, in war, that's, that's a very different, you know. Like, of course, I think and we even made the distinction here. Like, there's a difference between the rules in the Kumite and the rules in, like, you know, the stakes are important, right? So, like, yes, yes of course, in war, you have to do absolutely everything because the stakes are everything. But, like, if the point of the, the sport or whatever is to, um, you know, to demonstrate mastery of the sport, well you're just kind I mean, you're just cheating for no, the stakes are not high enough to warrant being dishonorable. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you, if you cheat to win, uh, to win a sports contest, which by the way, I mean, uh, so I, I admire Michael Jordan, but if you go look up what they call his last shot, which was his last shot before his first retirement, um, the push off. Yeah, he like he it's it's I mean he's he's cheating more or less. He shoves, <laughs> the, he shoves the guy down. So that doesn't really do anything. I don't you know, maybe they make more money uh if they win than if they lose, uh, but not really. Uh so so yeah, it, it matters. It matter, matters what you're what you're on behalf of. So Merrick, what about what what if there's a what if the oh can a law be unrighteous and you 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 don't follow you you say, Well, fuck that law, I don't care about that law. That law is not righteous. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we just have a definition problem here. I'm not telling anybody to uh, uh, kill somebody in in the third round of the the Kumite. <laughs> I'm saying that you you have to win, especially you know these conservatives. Uh, if you say that that you're fighting on behalf against infanticide, well, I would say you should grant yourself license to do what needs to be done. Uh, you know, but there's they... sorry. Go... But in that example, and like the Rufo, like the Rufo example is, he says, what we're going to do is we're going to get a, a president elected, and he's going to replace the people who work for the executive branch with better people. That's not like a scheme. Uh-oh. It's not like yeah, it's that, a, that is I, that is li- literally how it's supposed to work. Or an example of Roe. Okay, they had a, they had an election. The guy won. He appointed justices who overturned the decision. That's not like again. That's not sneaky or anything. That's exactly how like. That's playing the right, game right. by the rules. Okay, I, I didn't mean that 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 stuff so much as this other stuff. This this Alinskyite, this uh um this other stuff he's he's done and talked about where he's like we need to change the words that people use. Uh, like like he was talking about uh, uh calling people groomers and, and stuff like that. Uh, I I, I mean I don't like it, to me. If, to if, you, if you if you don't think they're groomers, then yes, that is underhanded. But like. I mean, I think the issue would be like how like the Andrew Sullivan point is like, well, they're not all groomers. And it's like, well, fuck you. (laughs) It's like, you know, like at a certain point, like there's only so much deference you need to pay to your 
political enemies. Like, you know, if, if the, you know, the glove fits, you know, the glove fits. It's, it's not like it, we're not accusing somebody falsely of being a groomer. Like this is a movement for groomers. I mean, it, it, it's, it, 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 it's calling it like you see it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, imagine, imagine you're the Roman army. You've been sent. You've, uh, you've, your scouts have reported that, that uh, the Germans are on the march towards Rome. You're sent out. You and the rest of the men of Rome are go- are going to meet them, and your wife, your your the women and children will be in Rome waiting. Uh, whatever fate comes, if you lose, do you know what's going to happen to them? Is the, what what rules at this point do you need to obey? What what things what things are out of bounds at that point? Okay, here's here's the whole problem with this this concept, like the the. The period in, in our history that we're talking about where, like, there were rules of war and there was civility in war, that's because that there were people in, like, there were people in charge of, of every nation in Europe who had said, like, okay, we're going to go this far and we're not going to go any farther. Nobody's going to roll through your lands and rape your women and enslave your children. We're not going to do that. If you lose a war, you're going to lose Silesia or you're going you're gonna, to uh, lose a, mm-hmm. a portion of Denmark. So, like, everybody said, okay, it's better for us to just have these rules and abide yeah. by them. In, in, right. in, like, in the Roman era, this doesn't exist. There are no, there are no rules of war. Like there, there isn't, there's nothing. There's like, you're not breaking any conventions. You're not behaving dishonorably. Like meeting somebody on the field and killing them is the like very essence of, of, of honor. Well, it does, if you, if you, if you use, I don't know, psyops or whatever, it doesn't matter. That's just, that's part of the deal. That's the norm that you're, you're living under. And okay. similarly, well, that's, that's all I'm asking for. in society today, like, yeah, maybe in the 50s or the, you know, well, the 60s are kind of an interesting issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they, you know, there were rules to politics, you know, there were rules to, you know, federalism and, and what have you. And like, obviously, well, Roosevelt, that's <laughs> I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot here. But like my point is like today, very much the pedal is to the metal. And like, yeah, if, if if yeah. people think the culture war is something that is like, you know, like the, the blue, blue Caesar is going to like respect your, uh, your millets, your, your self-government. No, it's, it's not going to happen. You're every, every to... war with, I'm sorry, every war under liberalism with liberals is a war as a fight to the death. And it always has been. And I'm not like, I'm not making a political statement here. It's like, this has been learned over and over again by, by, nations that were not li- considered liberal when they fought against nations that were liberal. Like you, you would find out in the end, there are no rules. It's, it's total war to the, to the death. And it took people, it took hundreds of years for, pe- for people to figure this out. And, and like, so in, in that sense, like if, if we're talking about, is it wrong for, for you to, to, you know, fight the enemy on their terms rather than the terms that you would have, uh, you would have fought, king george 200 years ago well no that's that's ridiculous nobody in the world believes that what is it wrong to to fight the war not under the terms like uh, like okay for example here's a great example even liberals in war don't use chemical weapons for well (laughs) (laughs) we'll put a pin we'll we'll put a pin in that one the, the, maybe the, maybe the CIA does, but like the, the two armies against each other, they don't they don't use chemical weapons. Is it wrong today to use chemical weapons? Yeah, because you're 
you're reaching in the Pandora's box for not not really a good reason because what happens then everybody starts using them it leads to mass suffering no one really gains from it like this is the whole point of honor like this is the whole point of of the thing that we're talking about like honor it's not that you're displaying that you're superior like like i'm stronger than you so i'm gonna be nice and behave honorably it's it's what would happen if everyone stopped behaving this way would it be better or would it be worse Exactly. It's uh, a friend of the pod, uh, T.R. Hudson. He said something to the effect of uh, honor is currency between men. And it's like it's kind of respect that you pay other men of equal standing. And it's like it's how you coordinate your affairs so that you don't just all like, you know, kill each other and steal each other's shit. And like, yeah, on a societal level, that is kind of like what it is. Like if you live in an honorable society, property rights are respected. You're able to, oh, I don't know, freely associate <laughs> stuff of that nature, which, uh, you know, and if you live in a dishonorable society, maybe, you know, the, your rights are not as well respected. And I think we have a sense of what society we're living in. Yeah. I mean, I guess where the, the inconvenient truth notion slips in, not that I'm saying anything especially profound here, but it's the, the risk. It, it's not so, I don't know. I think the nuance to some of this in terms of practical advice and practical thinking about it in terms of politics isn't so much, oh, you need to be willing to do the dirty stuff and 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 hit below the belt as much as um, you just have to be prepared for the fact that someone out there is going to. I think that's, that's, that, that's the important red pill. That's the important thing to be aware of, I guess, is that human nature is such that someone out there somewhere is there's always a risk. Uh, this is always at the door that someone is going to, you know, do, do, do the bad thing. So whether or not, you know, the, 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 the really hard, I guess, quasi Machiavellian school of thought, or I, I don't know, Mac, no need to bring Machiavelli into it would be like, Oh, you have to, you know, strike, you know, it's the Cobra Kai of it all, which, you know, that's like a modern, probably if we're talking about Van Damme, there probably wouldn't be this modern Cobra Kai show without that stuff either. But, um, you know, strike first, strike hard, blah, blah, blah. You don't necessarily have to believe that. It's just the, you know, you can't be naive about the fact that there are, you know, bad bad agents out there, essentially. Well, let's yeah. talk, if, we're, if we're talking about Bloodsport, the, the, <laughs> the beginning <laughs> of the movie, it, 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 and uh, there were people in it who, some of them didn't seem to be able to speak English and none of them were able to act. So it's kind of hard to piece together the beginning of Bloodsport, like what exactly is happening. But the gist of it is that Jean-Claude Van Damme's adoptive father is sick and dying and he has to take up the mantle of the clan and, 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 and in honorable combat win the Kumite and prove that like they, that their way is the best way. So if, if he cheats the way that Bolo does it, it doesn't prove anything. There's not nothing's gained from it. He's you 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 you've falsely won a competition. You didn't prove that you were better. And it in this like in at the end of the movie, it was really interesting. I expect I thought he was going to kill Bola because like that's just that's kind of how these these movies would play out today. But he doesn't. He makes them submit to him, which is like a fate way worse than death for, for somebody yeah. like Bola. So I, I, I would just say, so we probably have just a definition of this problem here. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think of Caesar a lot. So Caesar was definitely a guy that pushed, uh, pushed every angle, but he was also extremely honorable in a way of, uh, in a way of not, not, 
like a, in this this more important way of of honor is like uh, a a record of how you behave and people uh, and it changes how people behave around you. In other words, uh, you can get out of a lot of fights if you're an honorable person because people will give up knowing that you won't take advantage of them. That's a way. That's that's one of these things where you know you you're building up equity in yourself by by treating people honorably. However, you know, anything that that's like con- that you, we would consider like, uh, I don't know, intelligence warfare or whatever, uh, Caesar is using every kind of spy, everything like that uh, uh, under, under, his, under his thing. So, you know, you, let's say that, that, that honor is generally a, a great thing. There are dirty versions of this. There are versions of this where people say, ah, you know, well, uh, we, we just had to, to do the right thing and what it really amounts to. So, you know, uh, some of the worst excesses of the knights in the Middle Ages was when the, a code of, when their code of honor became basically just a, a criminal conspiracy where uh-huh. they're, they're fighting. They're basically fi- almost fighting fake battles. They're getting they're, they're ransoming each other in fake ways. Uh, there, there, there is a point where honor becomes basically an elite conspiracy. Uh, when your politicians will not do what they need to do on your behalf, and they say, "Well, you know, we can't break the rules. We, we can't go past the, the this or that," then you're not. That's not honor anymore. That is a that is a a, a conspiracy. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, another interesting part here is the extent to which honor. To, to what extent does honor demand that you are merciful or at least not like wantonly violent and like Chang Li, he kills someone in the ring for no good reason. He'd already won. He, he stomps on uh, Jackson's neck and somehow like Jackson, cause he's like a big strong American. It's, it's fine, but like not, not super fine. He did have to go to the hospital Tang Po, um, of course, um, uh, paralyzes uh, his brother, Van Damme's brother. And like in general, and of course, the gangsters are, you know, wantonly killing people. And um, it it raises an interesting question, which is, um, you know, is it it's not exactly unmanly to um, be bloodthirsty. It's, it's not, you know, it's not unmanly to you know, want to smite your enemies to the utmost. But like, there, it is dishonorable to strike a, a fallen opponent. And also it just, it's kind of, um, I think, you know, frankly, it, it depends on the context, right? Like if you're in the field of battle, then of course you're, you know, there's a, there's a, a goal to taking the other person off the field. If you're in the Kumite, like, well, you're not even supposed to really do that. And if you do, it's just kind of for some kind of, you know, kind of sick indulgence. And like, that's, you know, not only is it not honorable, I think it probably speaks to, you know, some form of mental illness. Mm-hmm. I would say that it, it is actually unmanly to be bloodthirsty and cruel in the Christian context, which is the context that we all live in. Like the great, the, uh, so the, the great, movie yeah. quote from conan is that you know they asked him what's best in life and he says the, to kill you kill your enemies to drive them before you to hear them like you know to, to murder everybody who's against you steal all the stuff and rape their women but if in the move in the conan movie he doesn't do any of those things 
You don't see you don't ever see Conan <clears throat> behave that way. You see Conan entire time behaving like a knight. He, yeah. He's he's avenging his father. And at the end, the end of the movie, you know, you you see this hypothetical world where Conan becomes like a philosopher, a philosopher. <laughs> so it's like uh, now the 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 Conan quote would have made sense coming from Genghis Khan, and like we we enjoy those kind of characters because like they're they're you know or Vikings or whatever because you know it's it's fun to have this almost boogeyman figure, but like in in the context of the way we see things, it is unmanly. It, it's it's bestial. So. Yeah, you know, it, it's not effeminate or weak, but it, it, it's it's not it's it's not you know becoming of a man. That's a very good point. It's not that it's it's effeminate. It's it, but it's it's that it's bestial. It's that it's you know it's not manly in the sense that it doesn't befit the like moral whatever of a man. And I remember in college reading the Iliad, and that was like a real red pill moment for me mm-hmm. because I'm like, wow, these these people. They have a very different sense of uh, right and wrong than we yeah. do when they're like butchering sleeping opponents and like, you know, just just generally doing things that, you know, we would regard as dishonorable. Well, there's the and the, go on, on that. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. there's the I, I brought some of the pod before the <clears throat> one of the Jack Donovan quotes that for me was like, oh, wow, that's really something. Uh, it goes back to he talks about how, um, you know, basically what we're talking about now, like you may you may you see you see sort of feel good quotes like a, you know, a real man doesn't uh hit women or whatever which I, i'm not necessarily disagreeing with that but you see these these quotes that you know real men are honorable etc cetera, etc cetera. and jack donovan says like do you do you really think that uh you know the, the characters in the godfather are, are less masculine for you know uh do it doing dirty things and killing uh, and his answer is, of course, no. And I think it's, uh, yeah, we talk about like you know, definitional issues here. It's like masculinity and honor. Uh, they're kind of, you know, they're different metrics. Uh, it depends a little bit how you define masculinity. Obviously, few people define masculinity as pr- pure brutality, but there's some, you know, there's some connection there to that kind of energy and masculinity. But I, a lot of people would probably define, this is, I think, a very common sense and very good definition uh, of, of they would have some definition of masculinity which combines that violence with um it being channeled in the proper manner it being channeled in a civilized manner um but i think the issue is be, the, the issue arises when some people would like to completely eschew the violence and instead focus solely on the civilization of it all and that's where you get people saying like you know that, that's where you get uh an idea like that, you know, someone turns the other cheek out of fear and they want to call that masculine. No, it's like, you have to, it's, it's that balance between the violence of masculinity, which is, you know, part and parcel of the broader violence that we talked about at the beginning, the violence of society and the violence inherent to, you know, um, governmental structure, um, you know, that has to be recognized, affirmed, et cetera. And with that affirmed, you know, other values, the values of civilization, the value of the values of honor and the so we call it the proper channeling of that energy um you know as long as long as it's an acknowledgement of of the you know the the energetic source of things not to get too abstract here but does that make sense the only thing i disagree with there is i don't agree with 
going along with their branding, which is like the oh, we're we're talking about the more civilized option. Like civilization itself is just uh, as my colleague was like, it's a conspiracy for everybody to pool their resources so that they can do violence on the scale that much larger than any, anybody else. Like, uh, sure. It's <laughs> so, like yeah. I, I I love that like the the word civility has been so completely. <laughs> Can I say paused on the podcast? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah for totally. sure. It, yeah. It's been paused to mean almost the opposite of like if you if you told like a Roman citizen what like the definition of civility is, he would laugh. Like uh, we were super polite in the South in the anti in, in the antebellum days, but that's not because like out of some kind of uh, right. obligation to be nice. It was because everybody carried a fucking gun, and, you, <laughs> and, and if, if you if you said the wrong thing, they could challenge you to a fight. Like you know, so so I don't. It's you. You alluded to it earlier. It's like it's cowardice that's disguising itself as, as being magnanimous, and then there's mm-hmm. nothing worse than that. Yeah, and that's it's, what, it's hypocrisy and lying. Too. That that is what the modern like urban liberal male is. I mean, he has this, and not not to get too much on my soapbox and like you know <laughs> shit on my peers, but obviously this is a right wing cultural podcast. Occasionally we're going to do that. Um, you know, that's that's the whole thing. The modern preachy liberal male who's a vegan, whatever. Uh, obviously, I'm dealing in cliches here, but they're, they're cliches, stereotypes based in reality. It's that, you know, basically weak men preaching their weakness as 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 morality and as as values, when in reality, it's just because that is all they've ever known as all they're capable of. And so it's preached as uh, as virtue. So absolutely. Uh, um, the. Okay, so I do, I do think uh, this, I do think being unmerciful is is feminine, almost specific, almost specifically feminine. <laughs> you can <laughs> you can see, you can look at and see. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, you know, I don't know uh, when this came up exactly, but uh, uh, Jesus said, if you uh, have, if you don't have a sword, sell your sell your the shirt on your back and buy a sword. Because uh, and then like he continues on and saying like uh, there will be an end to my to to uh, uh, my plan and it, and you you will need to be armed. Uh, but so this this I don't know if you can you can watch it the Democratic Party the way they they deal uh, whenever they have rivals or internal conflict. There's just extremely vindictive. There's zero there's zero mercy. So uh, Caesar is perhaps the greatest general in in world history. He was also extremely merciful extremely merciful why like what 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 is this what is this thing of of mercy and like why 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 is it so uh why so i mean so in general mercy allows so there's no you cannot dominate someone without mercy you know you you can kill them you can waste them you can uh you know uh rome spends the rest rest of its years uh sort of lamenting they knew the great sin they had committed to the um uh, what's Hannibal's nation? Carthage. To Carthage. There, there was that was that was wrong. What you know the the, the uh the you, you when you dominate someone when you you or you uh you when you give mercy to them now you can make you can utilize them you can you can uh become a team you there's like it, it's always worse to to destroy and I like it, it you're you're better off forgiving people it requires more strength to 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 forgive people be merciful it's been proven uh even mathematically uh i don't know if you've seen they have these these competitions for mathematicians uh on how to win uh to come up with an algorithm that wins the uh the prisoner's dilemma uh being being uh merciful but also uh like 
basically being confrontational, being being like violent but merciful is the way to win. Uh, that th- th- this is just like the ideal way to go if you can. Uh, and we see the worst political movements are always the ones that are the worst uh, movements in history uh, are always this uh, uh, vindictive, unmerciful, uh, etc. No, I, I believe it. I think there's a lot of nuance to it. But go on. Sorry, continue. I just quickly add, there was this great quote. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was like Schopenhauer. It was it was one of these like more modern philosophers. And he said that like it, it, the, the role of like the patriarch is to is to limit the intense family patriotism of, of women because like that they're the actually the vengeful and merciful ones and he goes if you don't if you if you don't believe me in this passage just imagine that uh-huh. your dog attacked a neighbor's dog would you rather deal with the, the man of the house or the lady of the house if that <laughs> right happened? right, right. Very true. i feel like that might be a c.s lewis quote or maybe c.s lewis was quoting someone else it, yeah I it think it's in your christianity yeah we uh, yeah we should we should just like uh, so. What I'm saying here is not misogynistic. We should just accept women yeah. for what they are. But let's let's be real. So uh, everyone, there's seen all, all these studies where women consider like uh, men who don't reach a certain standard is like not people, basically. Yeah, no, yeah, that's obviously uh, according to the internet accepted. There's, it's true. You see that. I you know you hear women talk about it. it's yeah accepting. Uh, absolutely. Women, yeah, absolutely. There's there's another story. This is not my story, but uh, a guy. Um, uh, the family family has family has a cat the uh the guy doesn't really like the cat uh the his wife treats it like a like a like a like a a child uh then she has a real child the cat takes a swipe at the child's face she comes to the husband this is a true story says uh just immediately the day after says go have this cat put down yeah, and the the guy that never liked the cat really much to begin with says, "I can't do that. We've lived with this cat for, for for six or seven years. We can't just kill it. I'm gonna give yeah. this to my to my parents or something." The woman that's, says, "No, just kill it. Just kill it now." That's the essence of motherhood. It's 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 the most important thing in the world that they feel that way. I, my mother almost got into a fist fight with a woman at a, at a McDonald's because like she said something to me. The woman said something to me when I was a kid. And my mother was like, step outside right now. We're going to have a fist fight. It's like, it was this insane overreaction, but like for a mother, that's. Your mom would have put that woman in in McDonald's in a gas chamber. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's like at the end of the day. um, Well, it comes down. So in terms of whether or not mercy is masculine, whether or not mercy is strong, I think it it, it comes down to that dichotomy. It's like uh, whether or not you're, are you showing mercy because you can't stomach going through with whatever violent action may or may not need to be taken? Or are you showing mercy because you are choosing to show mercy? If you're choosing to show mercy in the way that Van Damme, as silly as it is, but in the way that Van Damme ultimately makes, um, what's his bucket, Chong Lee, submit as opposed to killing him, that is masculine. If you, if it's, if it, but if it's a question of like, you can't stomach it, um, that is, is less so. So it's, 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 it's context dependent and it depends, you know, is it, is it deontological? I don't know, but uh you know is, well, by is, the way is, being in charge is basically having having everyone else around in a in the state of your mercy it, yeah it, it, oh yeah. completely yeah. yeah yeah and it's like uh, in terms of the women versus men question like uh if you're if your lack of showing mercy is it's when it becomes specifically feminine if, if, if your inability to show mercy um comes down to a lack of control of emotion that is not masculine and we might even call it feminine. And that is the mother 
beating the shit out of the woman at McDonald's for saying something bad, whatever the case yeah. was. Right. Um, I mean, also it's yeah. beta, right? Like at the yeah, beta whether, men can't sure. control their emotion. Alpha men are, you know, they're confident and assured. Yeah. So they know that like, I don't need to wail on this guy on the ground to prove that I'm a man because I, I already won. I am a man. Yeah, like I'm gonna be super Reddit and like that. Uh, I maybe I should. I, I it's almost too Reddit to even say, but like in Star Wars Episode Two, when um Anakin like kills all those uh, Tusken Raiders or whatever, like that's not exactly masculine. He seems completely, you know, absorbed oh, his emotions. And I don't know if it's feminine, but it's kind of beta. It's not. It doesn't read as manly. It reads as something else yeah so let's talk about let's talk about a better film uh you you guys seen the gangs of new york right oh yeah and it, actually and in not. The, yeah that's a, so that's in the in the movie <laughs> liam neeson is the is at the start is the head of the irish gang and he he defeats the head of the bowery boys gang daniel day lewis and he doesn't kill him he just he lets him looks at him lets him know like yeah you know what happened to bolo and and like if if you're if you're not absolutely confident about your ability to protect yourself, do whatever, like you're going to want to destroy all your enemies because like that's somebody who come back and, and defeat me someday. But if like, you're actually supremely confident, if you're, if you're Jean-Claude Van Damme and you know, there's nobody who's going to, who's going to usurp you, you don't have to, you have the luxury of being merciful. Mm -hmm. So you, the, the opening offer should be, and most, I mean, uh, you know, in 300, when uh, uh, Xerxes comes to town, offer one is basically mercy. It's uh, where you're going to be a junior partner, but uh, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm clearly stronger. I'm going to show you mercy. Offer two is I'm going to destroy you. And that way, I don't <laughs> think Xerxes, I don't think Xerxes is, is out of bounds. We can see a real life example of what this really looks like. Uh, so um, Hillary Clinton was perhaps one of the most powerful uh, uh, political candidates uh, there has been. She was defeated by Barack Obama. Barack Obama basically um, did the same thing. He gave her the Xerxes offer. She took it, came into his administration. Now, I mean, there are people that I've heard good, uh, I've heard good arguments that basically Obama is still in charge of the country. Uh, <laughs> you, you, would, you, yeah. you would not hear arguments like that if he had not done that. If he, after after beating her, if he had uh, was not able to do that, I mean, he his I don't know if he would have won another term, et cetera. He would have had very, very powerful enemies to deal with. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Uh, by the they, way, they uh, had a very ugly primary. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. I mean, like Hillary was trying to position herself as a like a populist, a, you know, um, a, a woman of the white world. <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh and then and then people forget this i don't know i don't even know to what extent this was a thing but you but after the clinton because it was it was nasty between them i was very young when this was happening but i remember it it was a nasty between them and then also nasty between their factions of the democratic party which is oh, now yeah. funny to think because now they're both seen as like mainstream dems they joined forces after the xerxes offer but you had uh democrats for mccain who went from clinton to uh fucking uh mccain um which is which is crazy to think now i guess well actually no not honestly it's not that crazy because mccain you know is obviously yeah. as we all know uh pretty much part and parcel of that faction too but like that was that was very much a thing in 2008 one could switch from clinton to, to quote, the you know the white old, the old white guy which is now funny thing but yeah <laughs> to quote alex jones he's now in hell <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I actually take it back. It's it's really not that crazy, but like still, it's it's to no, think that any all... any significant self-identifying Democrat and mainstream Democrat switching to Republican side that now seems bonkers. But it was a thing. It, well, obviously, it wasn't that enough of a thing to to have McCain ever get it even close to beating Obama. But it was, you know, you look at the history, you see these you know old protest signs, Democrats from McCain. And it's I mean, it was really a, a sign of the times, like the gradual kind of siphoning off from the Republican Party of the PMCs to the Dems. And like, yeah, I mean, in a sense, good riddance. Yeah. Uh, so that that the the ability to Obama, for Obama to do that gave him just immense power, just smash smash the right. There's another version of the story where that doesn't happen. But there, okay, so that is more like uh, another. But there's another version uh, that's that that is uh, more of like reputational. Whereas if people, if you are known as being magnanimous, you win battles you that that you would never have to fight. People that. Um, so you like i'm sure the people that work for hillary are like loyal and stuff but they must be have to uh, uh be like massively i don't know i forget what you call it but uh, uh, uh vetted etc you must have to be a, a very peculiar kind of person if you are known as being magnanimous if you're known to being uh for being uh, uh this kind of a very merciful person uh people will just offer you their sword uh more easily uh, and now, but in terms of politics, this moment may come for the right, may come for the Trumps. It, this, this is how you rock it up in power uh, uh, fast by taking your conquered enemy and instead of, uh, and being magnanimous, being merciful and saying, we can bring you guys in, we can integrate you in. This is how you, this is how you get, get exponentially more powerful fast. Uh, and people yeah. should remember. Yarvin's I mean, like, big on this, right? I mean, I remember him on your your pod was kind of talking about this with regard to how he would envision a a right wing takeover of things would basically be this. I don't remember how exactly he put it. Yeah, it was he he brought the Caesar example in, which was eye opening to me. You have yeah. to give people a way. Like if you tell people that you hate them and you are not going to be merciful for them, well, they're gonna they're gonna you know you, they're gonna back the, you back them in a the corner they're going to fight with everything they have because they, they have no other way out if you tell people you want surrender to be nice and easy uh you want to yeah. make, uh, caesar would let people leave the battle with their weapons which was i mean that was kind of dangerous but the fact is he could and he would like half the other guy's soldiers would, would be like hey well even though we lost this battle i still need a job and this guy seems like a good general i'm going to go join him and uh etc et this is just uh it's being merciful is good for yourself too, because you don't, you're not backing people into a corner to where they have to fight to the death. Make it easy for them. Make it nice and nice, make it nice and comfortable. It's yeah. like a corporate takeover that you didn't have to work for. You just you won the battle, and then you're just like, oh yeah, you're our guys now. Like, well, and obviously the alternative isn't very good. So like suddenly you like you know expand your you know your faction by you know you double it. Mm -hmm. and like it's you know it's a very savvy move no, not to go too far afield here but i think there's a lot of interesting questions about the extent to which to, to which this did and didn't happen with trump and to in, in which direction because i kind of think that after trump won in 2016 uh, you know conventional wisdom here but i think it's sad but true you know he won the election but there was still the deep state for lack of a better term that was still kind of in charge of things and i almost feel like in those days after he won and throughout his term maybe there was almost a xerxes option offered him you know you have obama obviously 
they're not going to have a completely chaotic transition of power, but you have Obama meeting him after and saying, you know, we owe him a chance, this, that, and the other thing. I think Clinton even probably said something to that effect. And I kind of get the impression that maybe some, I, I, I can't imagine that there weren't forces within the government who were probably trying to offer some kind of option like that to Trump and his supporters. And I kind of feel like he didn't, you know, for as much as people want to say that, you know, Trump didn't deliver on his like more populist and right wing promises. I do think he resisted ever really joining forces with those kind of more deep set uh, factions of the state. And lo and behold, now we have January 6th. Now we have every and uh, not even to comment on any conspiratorial nature there. Just every everything is thrown at him to, you know, they, they, they would like it so he can never run again. You know, they, they, yeah. they really well, hate that, him and his people as much as they ever did. So that I is the of, plan. Yeah. They, they sketched it out right yeah in so, like in i think like a buzzfeed article yeah or I mean, something. I, They're like, like if if we did it <laughs> yeah no i think so, that I, I tend to think he was offered some xerxes option actually did not take it would be my theory about trump if the way the way that this would influence uh sort of things going ahead i like i'm there is possible that there could be a, an ugly primary coming up for the republicans in 2024 you think yeah. so? Yeah. Well, this this is being uh, floated by. I, I I don't know. Either way, that goes down. No matter if it does go down, which you should try not to have it go down. But if it does go down, uh, both sides should be like should be trying to utterly reconcile the second that the fight's over. The yeah. second that it's over, you need to. And this is like this is like conquering, but it does. It's it's in a good way. You need to. Uh, 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 bring that other person in the same way uh, Obama did. And I'm, I guess I'm talking about um, DeSantis and, and Trump. I mean, if I yeah. was Trump right now, I would be trying to offer him, like, I don't know, vice president or something, but to anything to, to avoid the battle, because that is also a very good idea. That is, that is uh, avoiding, like, when you don't have to fight, it's better not to, because there's, there, the, uh, there's a lot of weird things going to happen. You, who knows what, what could, what could turn up, but, but once it happens, both guys should be trying to, uh, bring the other side in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they should avoid that at all costs, but we'll see what happens. I, I hear, I hear buzzings of, of both things, uh, but not even to comment on that. Cause I don't really, I don't know, but yeah, I, I it's, it's a big TBD you know, who's going to run. I, I tend to think that both of those men are smart enough and actually not to not to not to suck them off too hard, but I, I think they actually care enough about their constituents that I think they'd work it out before blowing the ch- shot, you know, for Republican the, the very real shot for Republicans to win in twenty four. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I haven't been following very closely, but I tend to think that DeSantis would be receptive to that offer. Yeah. So uh, he I don't should, know. I mean, he should be the main thing. That's like uh, Trump is like literally like twice as old as DeSantis. I mean. DeSantis exactly. is old enough to be hosting Chapo. Uh, <laughs> but let, let's go back to something you said before about talking about the fight scenes, the Trump skip to the fight scene, speaking of Trump. So that's one thing to understand is that, uh, okay, a lot of these movies, they, they rise above where they're at uh, in specific ways. I think one way we'll talk about later is the way Bloodsport rises above is this the integration with the Kowloon walled city. But Oh, yeah. But but the basics of it so uh, growing up we i used to go to the video store and all the all the kung fu movies were 99 cents uh for a week so i would just watch all the all these kung fu movies the bait like the basic draw of all these is people make fun of uh uh steven seagal a lot why like 
where why is Steven Seagal a thing? Why? Because he looks his fights on camera doesn't matter how fake Aikido is or whatever. It, they look cool. Uh, same thing with John Claude Van Damme. This looks cool. Uh, like ironically, in the way that that MMA has developed, Jackson would be a successful UFC fighter, and and Frank Dukes would not. You know, someone with basic boxing and wrestling skills would do fine in modern MMA. Frank Dukes, the the karate guy, would would not at all. Uh, which is a funny funny way that it worked out. Well, it, the the really funny thing it, at the end of Bloodsport, it, it has like a little a little like like in title card that says like this is based on a real story about Frank Dukes and like I'd never heard of Frank Dukes and I just I just immediately started laughing I was like there's no way this is based <laughs> on a real story and looking it up like this guy Frank Dukes just made up these crazy stories and the guy who wrote Bloodsport knew that it was bullshit he's like the story was too good not to write like <laughs> the best part is after that it, it like it lists like fake saber metric stats for, for frank dukes in this in this completely made up tournament like, <laughs> he, he, he got the fastest knockout he, like, his value over replacement fighter was the highest they like I, I i love that like that's the sign of a really good fabulous right like this is a guy who's just he just he's so good at, at bullshitting that he like he goes into details that you never think about yeah yeah no i mean it's it just kind of like speaks to the whole hilarious aspect of the movie like you you can i mean we in the notes got to this you know a little bit um later but um yeah there's this you know kind of bombastic part and it's like you know it's clearly like you know there's a, a fableism type element and like the dialogue itself like you know it's I mean, from today's vantage point where we like, you know, watch very like realistic movies like Matt and I talked about the difference between 80s Top Gun, the original and Top Gun Maverick. And like, I like the cheesiness. It's it's funnier. And like, if that makes me a damn hipster, then I guess it does. Yeah, I, I don't like, think it's, it's not ironic. It's just like it's. Well, I mean, from our perspective, viewing it now, I, I don't know. But like just for him to say like, uh, like. <laughs> This is blood sport, kid. It's just like it's great. It's just like you love hearing that. Yeah, there's well, a like positivity to it. Yeah. Martial arts movies like were like pornographic movies back in the day. Like there's a plot, it exists, but nobody cares about it. And like you just try you're like Trump, you're fast forwarding it to get to the part where uh, people are getting their ass beat. Right. I guess that Absolutely. works great. Or pornographic movies or blood sport. But yeah, like the, the, there's there's so, like the that modern no movies. That, what? Well, no problem with that. What about uh, what, who's that guy, Joseph Campbell or whatever that that wrote that book that said, basically every great story that we like, uh, the ones we consider the most important, they all have the same, they all have the exact same plot line. Yeah, the like hero's quest. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, like that is kind of like he but, but, shows but up in. Way, in terms of back. realism, uh, I mean, so first off. Uh, Every so most of the, the things that they did was with, with fighting did not come true. But one one thing is just like it did not change at all. So the guy Paco in the movie was the Muay Thai fighter. So yeah, yeah. Muay Thai turned out to be legit, and there's there wasn't really anything anything going on wrong with that. Things with karate, uh, karate basically, and what I guess what what happened with MMA and stuff, the magic from karate was gone. Now we kind of know all this stuff with one inch punching and all this kind of stuff that was all basically fake. Uh, yeah. The period where, where we didn't know that stuff, karate was able to be enchanting a little bit. 
Yeah, no, I mean, definitely like this was not an MMA movie. <laughs> this was, there were no arm bars. There were no, I mean, although you did see like in the different fighting styles, right? Like um, you have like the guy scampering around on the ground and like, you know, obviously I'm not sure <laughs> to what extent that's a real fighting style. It's a, a real but, fighting style. Oh, are you, are you aware of early, early UFC? Uh, vaguely. I mean, like that was the, the, what do you, the shamrock days kind of, right? Uh, yeah. So before, before it was banned the first time. So UFC was envisioned like literally like someone watched blood sport and was said, we should do this. Now, uh, <laughs> the thing is people used to be very protective of these different fighting styles and they would not fight mixed martial arts. Like the whole thing about mixed martial arts, you wouldn't get that because someone would be afraid. This is like the thing we were talking about earlier that me and Merrick can fight and other people can't because they might like expose that, you know, whatever their ism might be like, I might have a problem in it. They, they couldn't, so they couldn't do this back in the day. So uh, there had been some stuff and it was all like hidden and secret stuff. The guy, the Gracie guy who uh, he, he had done some stuff. He went to Japan. He had figured it out. He thought that like, if we ever did do mixed martial arts, my stuff would do fine. I would win. Uh, my stuff yeah. is, is actually the best. He basically funded the early UFC stuff. But any, anyways, you could, the earliest UFC, it's exactly like Bloodsport. It's fun to watch. There's like a karate guy. There's a sumo wrestler, et cetera. And uh, people, this, before this, you know, Taekwondo was this massive thing in the United States. The, the UFC just basically destroyed the Taekwondo industry because uh, oh, I Taekwondo remember. was like like I, I took it as yeah. a kid you know i'm like i'm 36 so i was in that taekwondo age where like oh yeah you, you do taekwondo and practice these dances so well, like early ufc was like that the 80s month the fight to survive montage where a bunch of jobbers are just getting uh, swept away from the scene <laughs> like all these different kind of like like do people still does just judo still a legit so martial a lot art? of the a lot of these things are so I think judo got into the Olympics, so it's still around like that. Most of these, uh, the UFC basically really flattened or changed a lot of these fighting styles or brought them back to their old way. So there is still like, uh, there's like, uh, two top karate guys in 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 the ultimate fighting stuff, but they're, I mean, it, it's all heavily different. So uh, I, I I don't know. Like as soon as UFC happened, it was clear that like, um, you there's like a couple things that work. And a couple of things that don't you, the, 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 I don't know, you, you could, the, the, the most, one of the more interesting things. So you, we've seen American wrestling basically works fine. Uh, mm -hmm. like high school wrestling style, they do fine in UFC and stuff they, they have to do a little bit of changes and stuff, Yeah. but the, the big cutting edge technology that everyone had to change to, it's like, if you go take Taekwondo now or something, I bet there's going to be some Brazilian jujitsu in there. Yeah. because that was like the the real technology you could watch the early the first three or four ufcs there is uh like hoist gracie is in there he he goes up fighting guys that are way out of his 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 weight range etc he doesn't punch back and he but he has this special thing this brazilian jiu-jitsu that was just destroying people but uh anyways that like that was basically the ufc was the culmination of blood sport the end of blood sport uh, and then bringing in this new period, you could not make blood sport again today because there's the magic is gone. There's no more magic in, in karate and, and fighting really. Yeah, no, I mean, UFC now seems to be pretty much a hybrid of BJJ and uh, I guess something, you know, akin to boxing or Muay Thai. 
and like that and that's like kind of all you need yeah you either do basically it's, it's uh, uh brazilian jiu-jitsu slash muay thai or uh wrestling slash uh, american style boxing muay thai is what he learns in kickboxer right yeah uh the you know in america i don't think we dip the uh the gloves in glass but <laughs> otherwise i i had a uh i had a buddy that that did muay thai and um i i don't know how realistic i don't know how realistic it is but they do that thing where they you you kick like a board over and over again to callous your bones out and stuff it's um I, I, it's kind of like perfect the for movies. <laughs> yeah well, and that brings us yeah, to another point, <laughs> which is the uh, the noble suffering. And, like, that's a trope in, you know, his movies here. And, like, it's, you know, it, like, it is a kind of a right-wing thing. Like, you know, you, you for a goal, you will suffer and you will, you know, undertake deprivation. And, like, and they like to, you know, uh, make it very aesthetic and it's so like the like stretching scene in Bloodsport. You know? Yeah, so yeah. Mel, Mel Gibson, his movies obviously have this element. Mishima, obviously, I don't even need to say more there. But uh, yeah, to, to Matt's point, like he, we literally have in Bloodsport and in Kickboxer, this guy's got like a pulley machine attached to his legs, pulling them apart like brutalizing his like his groin yeah. <laughs> his nuts. which jackson even like, comments what, on what, he's like you're gonna have you, kids one of these yeah. days you know yeah it's uh i mean like it, it's interesting like is it at what point you know as you're watching this is it like okay this is getting weird <laughs> so uh one thing uh i know iq is this thing right wing people talk about intelligence or whatever <laughs> If there was another number that measured your ability to um, delayed gratification, that would be more important than your IQ. Mm -hmm. And and that is sort of like uh, uh, the skill basically everybody wants. Um, yeah. And I think that that's like uh, you know sacrificing in the moment is one thing, and that is that is that is important. But it's nothing like the sustained. This is like uh, um, the Tradcast guys. They got a government gkc gilbert keith chesterton he writes yeah. about this a lot that like really like the real main skill that gives you all this the superpowers of a human a human is a crazy thing we can do uh you know uh the amount of things that a, you know like a, a monkey can do a lot of things but a human can do a crazy amount of things you know you, they, they can take <laughs> seals and drop them in antarctica they could they could uh, a, a human can climb a mountain with no uh with, with no with no uh ropes or whatever we can do anything, but what you, the only, but to unlock all this, the main thing you need is this delayed gratification. That is the hardest ability to, to, to suffer. Yeah. That's uh, certainly, that's like the, I, I feel like that's like the kind of the, the more above board side of it, the more obviously sort of right wing or not even right wing, just like, you know, straightforward thing is like, you know, obviously you need to suffer to, uh, you know, to succeed. I think part of what you're getting at, Dan, though, is like, at what point is it almost like aesthetically a bit fetishistic? I don't know if this is a welcome digression in the context of this conversation, but at what point is it almost a little gay? Because like, we do talk about <laughs> Mishima, and who, you know, obviously yeah. it is. There's debate about what, how a little bit of cornholing going on there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get, you get, I don't want to say Mishima was gay because there's some right wing debate about how that should even be. 
categorize. I don't want to piss anyone off. <laughs> but you know, there's the, if you've seen the Paul Schrader, you our, can, our oh, homo wait, nationalist Paul, boys, homo, don't worry, yeah. <laughs> we'll, uh, we're 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 not against you. Um, you know, I bring up Paul Schrader a lot. I brought him up on the last show. Uh, he did the the Yuki Mishima movie where you see Mishima suffering in all kinds of physical ways. Other Mishima, I'm uh, sorry, other Schrader movies as well, like American Gigolo and others, and even Taxi Driver. There's that almost theme of like bodily suffering as being somehow um edifying also like take this back to right um not to be sacrilegious but like obviously um you know there is a component of you know yes noble suffering at the core of our civilization (laughs) and i mean there's like it's it has like a real moral component to it but it also like in some of these movies gets like a little you know a little much yeah, well, I mean, got, yeah. Go on. Sorry. Sorry, you can no good. I was saying, it, it, I, I don't personally. I don't have any issue with that. I don't think there's any issue with it being gay. I think in the case of Mishima and like you see in that Schrader movie, like the Saint Stephen pierced by arrows thing, like yes, there, there is like there, there is a certain I think gay attraction, like a, a certain gay appreciation for those aesthetics. Nevertheless, I don't think they are of them in and of themselves at all gay or anything like that. I, I think there is. Uh, a beauty to them and i think they are part and parcel of our civilization they're part and parcel of christianity even and definitely in these van damme movies even um it's kind of understood that the, that through suffering that basically that suffering builds strength i think that's all it is i don't think there's any issue with it becoming aestheticized even if it can be fetishized by some <laughs> in the in the context of the movie and like in and this is not just these movies like you know in a rocky running up the steps whatever the montage the, 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 it usually happens in the montage the point is that the that the the pain that you go through is temporary, and the ultimate goal is it's going to make you stronger. You're not suffering for suffering's sake. You're suffering because that's the only way you can become like you can become stronger. Because every every gain requires pain, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like that, there is a there's a point here. Like we live in like right now, uh, <laughs> the Joker quote: "We live in a society where suffering <laughs> is like almost currency the way that honor." was currency but it's not suffering with the idea that i'm going to come out this stronger on the other end Victim it's suffering yeah. for the sake of suffering and the, the you know, suffer, this is suffering i've had has made me weak so you have to you have to do things you have to protect me you have to do things for me which is very much antithetical to I mean, I know I'm going to say yeah. christian tradition like every truth like there's just no there's no been no time it's in history well, yeah yeah, also, exactly. it's not Maybe real. Of course, yeah, it's not real suffering. Largely, the stuff they're talking about. So, like, real suffering generally builds character. And one of the reasons why these, like, you know, woke, uh, like, I've been microaggressed people are so annoying is they, you know, they haven't actually suffered, and thus they have not had their character formed by such yeah. things. So, I am just suspicious in general of the of like. I know that there's something to it. But I'm just highly suspicious in general of suffering as a virtue. Uh, I mean, so I, I used to play a lot of poker and stuff. It's obvious that gambling addicts, they they do what they do because they want to lose. There's a part of them that wants <laughs> that, like, uh, it, not having enough money to pay the rent or whatever does something that, that, that excites them. There are a lot of people that, that, uh, that I, I don't – there's just nothing – uh, I, I don't trust it in any way to in, in any abstract way. Also, you you will not have any trouble finding body suffering if you live on this earth. So I'm I'm uh, it will not at the high this week 
in Texas will not. It'll be above 100 every day. You can, <laughs> if you want to suffer, just just walk fucking walk outdoors. Or if, if you if you don't want to do that, or you want or you live somewhere cold, just get older. I'm I'm yeah, I'm, no. I guarantee you you have some body suffering coming up. So uh, I'm not. So I'm just sort of. Uh, 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 I, I don't trust it outright. I'm not saying it's good. It's not not bad, but uh, certainly you need to learn how to delay gratification. But just suffering in general, it's uh, a means, not it. an end. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. I think that's also where it becomes an issue. And I don't think Van Damme movies or Mishima or Christianity are are <laughs> guilty of, of of portraying oh suffering is just good. I mean, there are certain like I guess schools of thought in Christianity that have gone that direction, and usually they end up being yeah. considered kind of weird or even heretical. But uh, but in general, I think that it's not the suffering that's good; it's the overcoming. Um, so it's it's a nuanced thing where you can't over. It's kind of like our discussion of masculinity and honor earlier. It's not some one autistic thing where it's like this good maximize this. It's like this in this context for this reason. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Get, get get a shitty job that no one cares about. Uh, you know, there's there's <laughs> infinite ways that, that that you can learn to suffer in this life. So yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know like as you said, just get older. Like the earlier this week, I woke up just sleeping the wrong way, and I had a headache all day. And like, you know, that didn't used to happen. <laughs> I'm not, to me. Yeah, and did, I, did that make you stronger? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe it just sucks. Yeah. No, it's just <laughs> annoying. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you listen so doctors will have like um one of the most common things people tell doctors is like this has never happened to me before and like the 99 percent of the time it's like yeah you weren't 35 before you weren't 45 <laughs> before you weren't 55 before uh yeah th th there's that by the way let's this i think this goes into the the, the other thing because there's also something so uh we talked in the outline we have yeah beauty and so beauty is definitely a virtue but I, once again, this is a, this is a, a virtue I'm highly suspicious of this. I will never accept this like on its own. I know some people do. I know there's a lot, a lot written about this, but if you simply worship beautiful people or you think someone's right because they're beautiful, this physiognomy and all this, all this book. So by the way, I have a theory on physiognomy. I'd like to share with other people. Yeah. Uh, so like, so where did this come from? Why is this so useful online? I think that it's that it's just a, a verbal trick. So uh, the, the point of physiognomy is if I say, Merrick, you are ugly. That that is that is just that is bannable. That is just me saying uh, uh, you adjective. But if I say, Merrick, the your the the your physiognomy is terrible. I did not say that about you. I said that about this quote unquote thing physiognomy. So, uh, uh, I think that is the entire reason why people use this word just because it's like illegal to just say, tell someone they're ugly. But uh, I mean, like, look, look around these, these people, you know, the right wing is, is deluded a lot of times when they think like all this stuff, uh, when people really get into stuff like, um, what is that? Uh, spandrel idea of, um, and the, the IQ shredders and, uh, yeah. bio Leninism. Yeah. Right. Any of this thing where you like, uh, where you start out saying like, um, well, I'm just so much better than everyone else, and that's where all the problems come from. Mm -hmm. uh, you are just asking to be cut down. Second off, like I get, like I guarantee you, the top one percent of all these categories, they're not going to be on your side. Uh, the most beautiful people, they're going to be libtards. Most, oh, yeah. uh, uh, the richest people, they're going to be libtards. The biggest successful people in business, they're going to be libtards. Like this is a bad, like. And second off, the, like the right has real, like. 
real problems. Like we're, we're not just people that are just sitting around and tanning our balls because life is so great. Right. <laughs> like, like, I mean, we're confronting real, real problems. So this is like highly delusional. Uh, if it goes too far, I'm not telling people that you, that, that, you know, not to work out or do these other things, but if you yeah, start yeah, yeah. just declaring your genetic superiority, everybody, uh, uh, that's that's not a great game plan. In my you're, you're talking about aesthetics, right? Basically, like the the, the, pr- the problem with beauty is is in the the concept that we're rolling with here. It's like it's like the word awesome, right? The the if you read the like the word awesome in a in 19th century book, it means something different than it means yeah. today. And like we're like nothing now, yeah, yeah. And beauty is the same way. It means like what? So this person uh, that that lady's hot or whatever, uh, like. We have we've had Dave to distribute us on our show twice, and he likes to talk about like you know truth and beauty. And I've never asked him to you know define your terms, but like it's obvious the way he talks about it. He means something far deeper than aesthetics. Like you know the the kind the, the kind of beauty that like well I don't want to get get too religious, but like you you you, you see where I'm, I'm going. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah. So we've taken a term that had deeper meaning and we've applied it extremely narrowly. And like you hit the nail on the head with the part, like there are real problems. Like, yeah, the people who are obsessed with the aesthetics, like that's something you do in the parlor while the help draws your bath or whatever. Like that's not, it's got nothing to do with people like us. So, you know, I let them argue about it forever or whatever. Right. But now if people do just do that and they're very good at that, like, so, uh, you know, the guys who like, uh, so I consider the neoclassical painting, especially the, you know, there's this debate, like what is better neoclassical paintings? There's a big tweet going around or modern art. So in that way, like I do, in, in, like beauty does have like it, it is a virtue. Like we, you should protect the things that are beautiful, sir. But but like this is, uh, you know, especially as one of the funny things is uh, they've done all these studies on men and like how we rate women on dating websites and stuff. And like it's pretty obvious that like <laughs> if you take if you take a woman that is not fat and you give her like a a professional makeup job, that that, that, that that's a beautiful woman. That like 99% of men cannot like there's no di- like uh, maybe there's some difference of like the the angle of the cheekbones between Angelina Jolie and just a random 19 year old chick that's not fat that has a lot of makeup on but men can't really detect we don't really know the difference <laughs> all we just know that that chick's hot and like 90% of women that aren't fat are hot and so this is like this is all just highly suspicious but the main once again the main <laughs> thing is that um. This is going to lead you down weird thoughts uh, between like uh, uh, who's the the, um, the governor of California? Newsom. Newsom. <laughs> uh, guys like Newsom, or uh, you know, uh, the right has seen like uh, basically uh, they thought that uh, who's that that pop singer that held out for a long time, and now she's like a oh, uh, Democrat. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Yeah. yeah, they were like, well, she must be you know a holy right righteous way. whatever yeah, because yeah. she's. She's so beautiful, and 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 she had given them everything she wanted by just not saying anything at all. Uh, of course, now like so, you, this is a this is a very I mean, so it certainly is a virtue. There's something there. There's something between a beautiful painting, uh, looking at a waterfall versus like a modern art or things that are ugly. People celebrate one of the. I mean, so we we know that the left celebrates things that are ugly, and that is gross. There are. Uh, uh, yeah, there was something I noticed when we when uh, when I watched these three movies in that 
uh, in Double Impact, the very star of the movie is Jean-Claude Van Damme in a leotard with being ogled by like a dozen women. <laughs> and then uh, in, in Bloodsport, there's also a love scene that fades to black immediately. And then when the camera cuts back, the woman's completely covered, but Jean-Claude Van Damme is oh, like yeah. putting no, on No, he, he likes to show himself off very yeah, clearly. And, and there... Yeah, and, and in double and in uh, also I guess in double impact, there's a, a love scene that's like that actually shows a woman naked too. But I got the impression from all these like you were you were meant to be looking at Jean Claude Van Damme, and apparently oh, women yeah. really like that was the the his big appeal that like you get women to watch these <laughs> these shitty martial arts movies that you put a hot Frenchman in it. I, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. So and this this is something that okay. like uh, okay so. Uh, I, I think the reason why he's the star of the movie is is like uh, uh the, like watching him fight looks cool, and I know people are like well you know people will bring up like well this politician is handsome or something. They how many like million guys that nobody knows their name of that were like Abercrombie models and stuff. Yeah. No one cares about them at all. A man like so a woman this is true. So a, like a woman is like an object, and so if a, if there's a beautiful woman that's like all that matters. Uh, but with a man it's what you do. And that, like I, I, I just basically. Yeah, but he's both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's fine. Chuck Norris yeah. isn't hot. Chuck Norris was in a bunch of great. You know, Steven Seagal was was a good looking guy. But like Jean Claude Van Damme is like top one percent most attractive people of all time, right? Like objectively, right. if you measure. Yeah. Them. Like like no Schwarzenegger. Like Schwarzenegger, yeah. obviously, like you know, jacked, huge. But like, I mean, no homo. Van Damme is a better looking guy. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's like, that's clear. And, you know, I think the women probably, yeah, they, they did appreciate that to the extent they agreed to go to these movies with their boyfriends, their husbands. <laughs> it, it's true. But I, I think women are weird about this stuff. So like, uh, uh, you know, a guy in a band, <laughs> if they don't know a guy's in a band, then he doesn't exist. Then the guy comes out in a band and like, it doesn't matter what he looks like. They're like, no, oh, I true, just find true. him attractive. You just got to look at the way that his ears are like this and that. Uh, with, like it's status. Uh, status yeah. is very important. And um, yeah, no, I mean, like, obviously it's, it's kind of, you know, it's almost a feminine way of approaching looks, right? Like, like he's a good looking guy, but yeah, women generally, you know, need more than that. Whereas we don't. We don't like, I mean, like status is, you know, kind of important for a man in the sense that you want someone of a certain whatever social class or, you know, a certain personality, but like in general, you're not like, oh, well, she's the CFO of such and such company. I'm really hot for her now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not how it works, but like, um, yeah. You, no. you just have to listen to like, uh, if you get, if you're getting the right, I mean, this will happen to everyone at some point. You will hear a woman describe how good looking a man is that is clearly not but he's like happens <laughs> to be a lead singer of a band he's a billionaire or something like that and they're like no no it's it's this very specific way of this and that and it's all bullshit it is like uh it, like you know the, the guy in the opening band it doesn't matter what he is the guy in the, the you know the the main act is what is what they care about so it is a factor but it is not the main factor and as a guy you can't be thinking about that as a guy you gotta be thinking about uh, what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's enough women who have a crush on Ed. I don't even want to diss specific people, but I'm just going to go ahead. Uh, there's enough women who have a crush on Ed Sheeran to probably prove this. Uh, 
I, I was gonna I was gonna give a, a few other examples of musicians, but I actually think I'll shut up because I don't want to necessarily. Not that what, what, yeah. what about the incel guy that was in the? Uh, he's got those pictures of him and like the Mercedes and stuff. I don't know his name. Um, he's Rock, one of the killers. Are we talking about Elliot Roger? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, was he an un- was not a handsome guy? I mean, I think I look. I'm straight, <laughs> I'm straight whatever. But like, yeah, I, I my impression was I think that's one of the reasons people are fascinated with him is because he doesn't seem that that looking. Not super masculine looking, but a uh, you know a pleasant enough face, right? Um, I think I think that's one of the reasons people are fascinated by him because it it prove it almost proves some point about the looks not mattering as much thing. This smell does. This does matter to men as well. I mean, if you go back to your high school yearbooks or whatever and go look through them, um, whoever was like the most popular girl, I guarantee, like, if you if you had seen them like three years later or you had had a different idea, more than likely it was like just like a, a hot. She was like moderately hot, but she was like the rich and like a bitch, and yeah. like and and that like psyops people like wow, she's like the hottest girl on the planet. This this was the same way in my high school, and then like uh, you know two years later, I uh, w- like there was one chick that was like everyone made fun of or whatever, and like but she was clearly super hot. She became like a bikini model or whatever. Yeah, uh, but it's just the psyop of of the status thing, and and that works on men, but but men much less. Women are 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 uh, crazy, but yeah, well, it's Dan and I were talking about this in a different context. It's like social structure and hierarchy and social fabric. Uh, often to positive ends, but sometimes also to negative ends, especially in like a high school context where everyone's kind of an asshole, uh, has so <laughs> much to do. And, and I think for both genders and sexualities in this case, so much to do with your perception of who's attractive and who's not. And uh, this is to go off topic, but I think Dan and I were talking the other day about how like, that's probably one of the reasons we're so like atomized sexually and there's more and more incels and perhaps even fem cells now is because we're there's less and less of that social fabric in existence so now it's, it's all the superficial crap on dating apps whether it's pure status stuff or pure uh looks rather than the delicate balance of like oh this guy's in this yeah. band or like you know i like you yeah you need the information to make an informed choice so when like two atomized people show up like oh i met you on hinge or whatever it's like yes the man is always putting on the show but in addition to that, like you just don't know anything about each other and you don't know like where you fit in the various like hierarchies. You don't know like, uh, you know, the social network that you two are, are part of. And thus, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of like if you're from, from the woman's perspective, you're sitting down and you're like, like this guy is it's a sales pitch. And like these things aren't meant to be really sales pitches. Exactly. I mean, yes, there's always an element of that. But like back in the day, it was more like, oh, I know him from work. I know him from school. I know him. So like, yeah, he's kind of trying to, you know, give me a pitch here. But it's like, it's not just, it's not just that. Whereas like now on like these dates, it's like, uh, yeah, so um, how can I get you to uh, fuck me? (laughs) Yeah, it's depressingly (laughs) transactional. (laughs) Even when it's not directly money related, it's depressingly like transactional as opposed to being part and parcel some yeah bigger system of people who all know each other you know if you're if if you're talking about using the app it's like pretty much like the the okay cupid i think released stats on this or maybe it was tinder whatever one of of these companies that like the the way men rate women and the way women rate men totally different women are like 
they think that the last oh. like the top twenty percent are like the only people on earth. So if you're using a dating, if you're using a dating app and you're you're male, it's like you're no longer competing with like the person next to you. You're competing with like the top twenty percent to like time who like a timeshare boyfriend for these women, right? Like they're yeah, they're not good. One hundred percent. So like at that point, it's like, well, uh, you know, who, who, what are you even doing? It's very, that's a very, very black pill. No, I I did a little experiment on my apps and I, on one app, I took off my college and my job. I'm I'm a lawyer and, um, I I got, you know, a 10th of the matches or messages. (laughs) 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 It's, uh, you know, like these markers of status are the only thing that people go and looks of course. So like, yeah, like maybe I still would have gotten a lot of looks if I looked like, it's also the, the, so ask, ask any guy that you know, that works in sales, ask him if he does all right, no matter what he looks like, ask him if he does all right in the apps, they will probably say yes. There is a, there's a thing about, um, there's, there's, really? there's a good, Yeah. I would think that he would do better in person meeting people like, you know, cold, mm-hmm. cold, the, the cold approach. Right. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's sales the guys thing. probably work over email now anyway. So, <laughs> but, but uh, there, there's a great concept that, that the NBA has sort of developed where there's like, uh, so the like uh, NBA players, um, a lot of them, we don't know exactly how tall they are. So it, basically if you skip the, the, uh, the, the uh, whatever they call this, the, the compound or whatever where they, um, they, they if you skip the combine then you have to present yourself to this thing where they will um to, to like a different kind of like medical analysis and one of the parts of it is they will measure you without shoes on and this is like the only way that we know the actual height of, of many nba players the rest of it you can just look at pictures and stuff and what people have figured out is that uh nba players there is like their true height and then there's like their spiritual height so uh, <laughs> So like um huh. good example. Charles so, Barkley's like, spiritually seven feet tall. Well, so uh like Dwight Howard is probably shorter than um uh who's that guy that freaks out on Twitter all the time? Uh KD. Kevin uh Durant. what's his name? Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Yeah. So uh Kevin Durant is probably taller than um Dwight Howard, but he's not like but you don't think of him as being taller than him. Uh, you know what I mean? He's yeah. just spiritually shorter. So you list your height is sort of like uh, this other number that, that it's that's hard to explain. So Clay Thompson is like is is probably like like six seven. He's like on the taller end. Clay Thompson is one of these people that lists himself as shorter because he doesn't really carry himself like someone that's six seven right. six eight. He kind of acts like a normal like uh, uh you know six six two six three. There is this other number. That is like uh all, that is basically more important than your true height, which is like your spiritual height, the height that you actually that you carry yourself with. It's very and like the thing is this totally functions in, in the NBA. No one has any problem with it. In, like it, it's sometimes people bring it up as like it's kind of funny, or you you see players pose together with pictures. You're like, wait a minute, I thought that guy says he's seven feet tall. He's the same height as the the as the fucking guards and stuff. But it works. <laughs> yeah, it, it just works. People like get it, and th- that kind of thing exists in normal life. But uh, we don't oh, really, much. yeah, uh, uh, think about it. Yeah, it's kind of like how you always, see, even if you're, and I'm personally, this is not the case for me. But if you grow taller than your your own father, which happens for some people, you may never quite see it that way, because you're always yeah. going to see, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you will be spiritually shorter than your father always. And, but no, uh, definitely, definitely operative. In, yeah, de definitely operative in real life. You know, you hear people talk, it's crass, but well, I won't even say it. You know, big dick energy, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's real, uh, for better or worse, you know. Now, another aspect of Van Damme's uh, movies we wanted to jump into, and this is very relevant to the um, mission statement of New Right creating a space for, you know, the type of uh, art that is no longer able to be produced. Uh, Van Damme is not woke. These movies are not woke. This was before <laughs> wokeness. And uh, so it's, it's kind of fun to go through, and I'm not sure there's even a point to this, but it's kind of fun to go through like the ways in which this movie, though innocuous and like well-loved at the time, would not be able to be made today. So like in the opening of Bloodsport, there are like various kind of because there are fighters from all around the world and uh, they kind of like in their depicting their fighting styles and like and what they're doing in their countries. It's uh, probably in today's uh, world would be seen as somehow uh, racist to show. Well, I mean, well, the African fighter in the tree mm -hmm. that was uh that yeah. perhaps uh you know i maybe even by the standards of the time that was a little spicy um but you, um you don't you can't there you don't have access to an arab fighter so you just put a turban on an, on an asian guy yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. that was amazing yeah they just put up they literally just put turbans on chinese guys like my name's saeed like no no it's <laughs> not you are obviously chinese but they they didn't play it for last it was great it was like we're like the african fighter who like like he, he he he's in the movie and fighting in the Kumite. He's like he's he's moving around like like a chimpanzee. Yeah, <laughs> no, no I was like, what, what am I watching? But, but yeah. he's played a hundred percent seriously. We're not. There's no tongue in cheek. This is this is how he fights, and it it you know it works for a while anyway. Yeah. No, it's that's, like that's, I mean, uh, like, by the way, that's real fighting style. That's capoeira. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what. No, it it's was. real. Sorry. I think yeah. I really knew something of it. I mean, they were just trying to show like these are fighters from all around the world. I think yeah. that was the main idea. That very '80s sort of like world music vibe. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're gonna go exactly. around the world and everyone. Yeah, and there, it definitely there was wasn't made to mock, you know. But it was. It wouldn't be portrayed this way now. Before globalization had taken over completely and everything in the, in the world was the same and boring. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's and the 80s was kind of a high watermark for that. Like, uh, and there's the whole like feed the world thing too and the fascination of Africa of that time. It was a little different than it is now because yeah, I think globalization was a little less set in stone. The uh, There's also, the, there's like this thing of the different fighting style. This is like the early UFC thing. There is a mystery element to it. So people were actually like, they didn't, they didn't, they would, you would have no idea of knowing at that time if capoeira was a legitimate fighting style, if oh, uh, yeah. these different things. And people were like, that, it was like, it was a, a great world mystery. Like people actually did really want to know this and having this, this like super uh, quote unquote diverse cast would, uh, it was like a legitimate thing that was going on. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the wokeness thing, I mean, so this is kind of a side point. I don't want to get into it much, but like one of my, the, I've been watching X-Files lately. Yeah. I've never seen oh, yeah, it before. Yeah. And what's interesting about X-Files is like uh, X-Files exists before and after wokeness. And you can sort of, uh, <laughs> it, it, and that, that is like a, a funnier element when like you have the same series uh, before and after it. Yeah. Well, it's when Fox became Jewish. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was that was amazing because that's that's perfect because he's like the exact actually so, Scully. 
Yeah, because like that's kind of like if I understand that is kind of like what uh so uh I don't know what this is kind of the thing that's talked about in the distant right a lot. Ron Unz has an article about that basically like the wasps were replaced to some extent uh these high like these high uh, institutions, Harvard <clears throat> and stuff, by lots of uh Jewish guys, right? Mm-hmm. And but this is hilarious because this is exactly what um the actor that plays Mulder is. Um his parents were, were Jewish. He did get into it's a big time sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 that's right. And the company and his parents did come to the United States. He was a Hungarian Jew. He did get into like Ivy League schools and stuff. And in the first five, the first four or five seasons, he is a wasp. And then season six or whatever, now he becomes a Jew. It's per, it's so per, it's like exactly perfect. Yeah, changing of the guard. No longer the uh, the good shepherd aesthetic onto the uh, the new one. Yeah. Absolutely. But one um, one non-woke element of Bloodsport that I did appreciate, and I genuinely appreciate it. It wasn't just like, oh, this is a different era and like, haha, this is kind of a little less politically correct. But like that I actually think was, was actually like heartening to see and that I wish was more the case was the character of Jackson. You know, at the beginning of the movie, he's seen flirting with like a, a woman in Hong Kong. And he's he literally says, hey, you want to date a big man? Like I completely <laughs> completely thought that he yeah, was going yeah. to be a villain in, in yeah. by the way because nowadays any chud american portrayed that way is totally villainized that he's you know um jackson basically seems like a trump supporter and would be completely villainized in any modern movie but even in the 80s and i'm a fan of the karate kid franchise like I, it's, it's very aesthetic to me whatever i like it uh, but even in those there is a little bit of that like you know daniel russo the kind of uh you know more uh what's the word swarthy protagonist versus like the blonde um you know whatever that guy's name is uh you know there's a little bit of that like uh, it's not ellis island resentment yeah ellis island resentment (laughs) against well good old boys to to kind of bring it full circle to to your guys's pod name but um you know a good old boys or uh wasp whatever you want to say um there is that very much even in the 80s movies but in Bloodsport, i was totally queued up in the movie uh, almost seems like it's setting it up to be that way because like you kind of see him and you see uh, John Claude Van Damme. I don't remember his name in the movie; it doesn't matter, right? Like uh, you see them coming from, you know, uh, John Claude's coming from the United States. Uh, Jackson's already there. You, I really think this is going to be the final round is between them. But then, as we talked about earlier, there's that. And it, I, it is one of the the more like uh, so much of the movie is a little bit like cliche in terms of the plotting but that that video game scene uh, i've never really yeah, i thought that was actually pretty well done it's like they they kind of come together yeah. over this video game about their what they're about to do and uh, they're buddies uh without any uh without any without any tension really it's like goose and maverick in top gun and i mean uh jackson is portrayed as being a little bit goofy and always drinking beer and stuff uh, but ve- basically as lovable. And, uh, you know, I really can't remember the last time I saw a movie that kind of portrayed a quote unquote chud American in that manner. And um, yeah, I genuinely like I found it heartening. I was like, you know, this is nice to see because I'm so used to the usual Hollywood thing of of, um, you know, the, you the Ellis Island resentment or, or yeah, just yeah, like really, really putting down anyone who's portrayed as like a, a less economically well off white <laughs> Yeah, when I first saw him, I also thought he was going to be like, you know, this is the guy who's got to beat in the first round. But like, it is the video game scenes. I, it, it, the funny thing is the Revenge of the Nerds guy who plays Jackson is far and away the best actor in the movie. It's not even close. Oh, yeah. no, nobody else in the movie is like even – he's like a D-list actor, but he's head and shoulders above everyone else. 
the 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 video game scene is actually really important because like you instantly see how does Jackson react when he loses, and he he's like he's not mad at him. He's like, oh wow, you're pretty good this game. Oh, wow, I'm gonna get better and beat you. Like he's he has the same yeah, attitude that the Van Dam has. Obviously, he's he's you know you know arrogant and foolish in his own way, but it's like. In, 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 deep down, he's the same kind of guy, and they, so they instantly get along. They just they become best friends, uh, like on the spot. It, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's it's heartwarming because they're they're both masculine in completely different ways. There's like the sort of yeah, obviously Van Damme's a little bit of pretty boy, but also very strong, very disciplined, very into the art of it all. Who's trained, you know, in the ancient art, whatever the Tanaka family, whatever it was, and then you know, Jackson's a total chud. He's drinking beer between matches. He's we, we don't even really have, you know, he's just, he's, a, you know, your classic boot in your ass American, but the, the, the fact that they're both very masculine in totally different ways, but then like have each other's backs, uh, you know, the male friendship of it all. It's uh yeah. It took me by surprise very positively. This is a kind of necessary uh, uh, thing that, that in a lot of these, these Kung Fu movies, uh, especially um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is best work is when you have a movie like this so like what is the, the character of jackson he basically uh so the problem with the problem with uh with jean-claude van damme especially at this time his english is not great he's not he's yeah. not a great actor also uh it's kind of better in the movie if he is uh stoic the problem is that that's not great for movie so what do you do so the, like the better so the best example is uh arnold true lies you give him tom arnold basically <laughs> yeah. does this uh, Tom Arnold is this very large, very larger than life character. He takes care of all this that brings, uh, uh, brings Arnold's like personality to life. You put him with, with one of these people like this or, uh, a, a, a more poignant example, Arnold in, uh, Conan, uh, Subutai says he's Conan, Sumerian. He will not yeah. cry. So I will cry for him. And this is what, when you need, when you have a actor, like, uh, uh, we have an actor like Jean-Claude Van Damme. You need to have a guy to cry for him. Because, <laughs> this, yeah. a good point. This, is, this is what Kickboxer was missing. There was nobody like that. So like the movie, like the movie's boring because the, you just you just have Jean-Claude Van Damme, the Asian teacher guy who's non-reactive, and then it's just it's like Yeah. Or or rather you just didn't have the same level of connection, right? Because there is the the black guy he's friends with who's more lively. He does have his brother, but like Mm -hmm. he doesn't really develop the connection that he had with Jackson. Yeah. This is uh so one of the most popular uh things like this, obviously Rush Hour made a ton of movie money money. Mm -hmm. Same thing, you had an actor. Doesn't speak English, great. Uh, another like this this movie, like the movie Bloodsport. Uh, Jean Claude Van Damme's made it a lot of times, and uh, <laughs> my fa- he even directed it once. Well, one of the best ones is uh, the Quest. I recommend everybody watch. Oh, it's I haven't like the- seen that one. Oh, it's great. It's Jean Claude Van Damme directed it, and it's uh it's the same thing. Uh, and it's and, and it's the 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 it's Frank Dukes. The actual Frank Dukes gets the uh credit for the writing and everything it's a tournament but it's set in the 20s and uh roger moore is like his buddy in it and roger moore is fantastic in it like like older roger moore yeah 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 and roger moore is like i don't know 70 in it he looks like a million bucks he looks like if i look like that when i was like when i was 61 i would feel great he he's old as hell and he looks like a million bucks in the movie you know they really well it's true 
in Double Impact, they try to fix this problem by having, like, a lively version of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, the Chad character is supposed to be, like, the comic. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. But he can't, he can't quite pull, he, he can't he quite pull it off. Really. But I yeah. will say, if we're talking about not woke, the Double Impact is definitely the least woke of the three we watched. Uh, Alex calls his brother the F-slur with, like, within two minutes of meeting him, right? He had buzzed <laughs> and that. And then he called, he says it again uh, when he, uh, before or after he punches the walkie-talkie because he's so angry at his brother for potentially cucking him. Yeah, and, and crucially, and like, oh, go on, I'm sorry. No, you right, no, go ahead. So, and crucially, as that develops, he, um, you know, grows angrier and angrier, thinking his brother is cucking him. And uh, then when they return home to the uh, hideout, whatever, where they're, they're all living, he, um, he slaps her, he slaps his, his girlfriend because he thinks that she cheated on him. And it's not really, the, yeah. the viewer knows it's not really a reasonable thing. Like he really shouldn't think this. And, um, and then he proceeds to fight his twin brother, Chad. And um, crucially in the context of the movie, I mean, she forgives him for this laugh and the movie forgives him too. It's like, it's written off as like, you know, this is him being a kind of like possessive masculine man. And when a possessive masculine man thinks he's getting cucked, like he, he might slap you. And like, this is something that obviously would not fly today. Like, like it might happen in the movie today, but that it would be like a black mark against him for the rest of the movie and he'd be atoning for it or, or something like that. And I don't say this to like, say I support hitting women. I do not, but it's an interesting observation. Well, that's not all just uh, uh, censorship though. I mean, so have you guys ever been to Disney World? Disneyland, uh, yeah. not World. <laughs> uh, if you go to Disney so if you go to Disney World, there's a decent chance you'll see a Japanese guy hit his wife. They still do it. Did you see that when you were there? Uh, not in Disneyland, no. <laughs> but, uh... Okay, so I don't know why, but they they more so go to the one in Orlando, and uh, like they like you like you. There's if you go two or three times, you will see it. So like uh, I it's like and the way that. The way that all the Westerners react, you can tell that like we're we've changed because like everyone, every Westerner is there will just like they just look you get very uncomfortable. I mean, I got uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, I had never seen that. I'd never seen like I'd never seen that in my life. And, and you could tell no one else on in the whole and the whole bus had seen or I, I'd seen it se- I've seen this several times at Disney World. Maybe uh, people in the comments <laughs> tell me I'm not crazy. Tell me you've seen Japanese guys smack on the ta- I gotta ask, are we talking hard? We're, I assume we're talking a light smack on the cheek. We're not talking uh, basically, crazy, yeah, right? like like a like yeah. a slap. Yeah. But also <laughs> but there's like just in general, like 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 the yelling and just like grabbing and stuff like but but yes like the you will see a slap guys in the comments tell me tell me if you've seen this but you will see this at disney world and so that that is the part we have we have uh uh, we have changed by the way so if you need to watch everyone so kickboxer is like it's pretty good in terms of john combat no it's not no don't i mean it it is but but hang on let me finish up but you have to see it for the dancing scenes which are oh yes yeah yes Okay, no, he no. like he he loves himself. Like he's there dancing. Like you can tell this guy is just like he's, he's feeling himself. 
Yeah. Before and, we move and, on from the woke thing, I got to say, Double Impact was the least woke because it what happens at the very end of the movie, the very end, the last scene of the movie, Chad throws up the white power okay sign and it freezes frame on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, the, the, the woke, um, uh, well, this is actually from Kickboxer. I, I thought this was interesting. When he um, he grabs the the nurse's ass and it's just like like everyone thinks it's like like she turns around shocked and then she's like oh you and the doctor's laughing and it's just like can you imagine this in a movie today if like you know the protagonist just like grabs the woman's ass and everyone's like oh this is a sweet moment <laughs> don't mind if I do yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, kickboxer he had a lot more like he wrote he wrote kickboxer so you can. so there's the dancing scene kickboxer and the thing that take from from double impact is the drip drip is out of control in that movie you can any of of those fits you could rock that shit today and uh and look good uh all of it guys you gotta watch watch double gotta watch uh double impact and, and check out the drip I mean, the one thing he really likes the low scooped tank tops. Like you gotta, you gotta be chiseled to be wearing that stuff. <laughs> like if your tank top goes down to your, your navel, uh, you you got you know you better look like Van Dam. People, so you know, I'm like a uh, like southern like kind of frat boyish kind of guy, and uh, we so we wear the 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 scene the the outfit he's got like the beginning of Double Impact the uh, basically khaki shorts. They're decently short, and the uh, uh and the polo like that oh, is yeah, a great. That's, that's a good throw one. that on with with some deck shoes. Where that shit is, this shit is awesome. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. People hate on that shit online. No way. Uh, the the one of the most hateful images, the thing that they've ever done on the internet is uh, there's that that meme, and you ask people like, okay, what is the point of the meme? That meme where the guy's like, uh, we had to do it to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I ask people like, okay, what's the problem? And they're and like, they're they try to like imply that he doesn't look good. Like, well, no, no, I'm sorry. Like, if th- that guy would have been the most popular guy in your high school, girls would have liked him. Uh, this is like a bullshit meme. If the if the point of the meme is that like this guy is not killing it, there's nothing wrong with it, with that that the frat boy fit. Yeah, no, I'll never. I, every time I see that meme, I think of like my freshman year of college fondly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously the, the 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 funny thing is like he so perfectly embodies that kind of. And yeah, maybe some of them are a little douchey, quote unquote. But nevertheless, like you know, it's something. But people bad. are generally like, yeah, if they if they don't like it, it's because of like things like jealousy or something. Yeah, I don't think yeah. anybody looks at that guy. And was like, wow, this guy looks like looks like shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good Lacoste ad right there. <laughs> yeah, Jean Claude really pulls off the like attitude era Shawn Michaels look in Double Impact, right? With the with the Alex brother, the cool brother. He look, he has the same exact. You guys remember that Shawn Michaels? Oh yeah, back, yeah. yeah. Degeneration he, he looks, X. Yeah, yeah. And then his brother's the opposite. He's like the preppy California and. It, well, he's I, like I, the I, other Shawn Michaels, right? Kind of like. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah I never even thought about that. Yeah, yeah he's like pre DX Shawn Michaels, and then like Shawn Michaels went bad, and he became the, the Alex bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's another thing I wanted to talk about. How like it's just how fucking hilarious it is that like you know they, they have these twins, and obviously it's just him. And like you know the personality just totally changes when you slick the hair back. 
And like, you're just like suddenly like, Oh, well, he's, he's not an F word anymore. He's a, <laughs> he's a badass. He, he's also trying to disguise his accent a little bit as Chad doesn't, he doesn't do a very good job. Like that makes him, he doesn't, his dialogue comes off a little bit, I don't mm. know, stilted, but that's not a problem in the context of the movie. Cause like, you know, the, yeah, Chad is supposed to be kind of a dork. He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, no, it's, it's just like to see them and like and have people like be like legitimately confused and be like, well, wow, you have a kind of gay hairstyle now, Alex. What's going on? <laughs> have you uh, become a golfer? <laughs> is, can I, is the, can I use are people to like uh, like irony poisoned or, or like yes. are we the people consider themselves too advanced to like I don't know if they would even do the when was the last like one of these dual role movies uh because that I mean the concept in itself I think people would oh, uh, too Eddie Murphy. To even <laughs> well that uh enemy by uh the, the guy who did Dune uh no no uh enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal where he plays oh. himself I think yeah it's yeah it's so, it's so, like a really yeah no, it's like a creepy, like this guy discovered Jake Gyllenhaal discovers it's another Jake Gyllenhaal and, you know, it's weird. Yeah, I don't, it's not done in the way it's done in Double Impact. No, it's, no, yeah. Yeah, like, like that That was like very on the nose, like two of them, you know, um, even, I guess even reflected in the title. <laughs> yeah, terrible um, split screen too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it's still done occasionally, but I do think we've kind of moved past like, oh, this guy's going to play two characters. One movie that came to mind, this is a pretty old movie at this point, very, very different, but uh, Adaptation, the Spike Jones movie, or no, rather, yeah, yeah Spike Jones, I think, and then written by, maybe written Charlie Kaufman, yeah. Charlie Kaufman, yeah. yeah. Good movie. I, I like that movie a lot. It's very funny to me. Uh, but yeah, Nick Cage plays two characters in a way it's a little bit like this, like, what the fuck is going on? But you, you need an actor like Nick Cage where like you expect it to be a little ridiculous to kind of pull it off, I think. There was a movie that came out before Double Impact, like three years, and it had um, Jeremy Irons in it. And it had, I can't remember the name of it, I, I apologize, but uh, the, it, it was, um, it, 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 it did the same split screen technique, but like he actually did, like, did a really good job. They used the, mo you know, the like the Robert Zemeckis motion control split screen, where, like you put the, you put the camera on a, on a dolly that's operated by a computer, so it moves exactly the same way. So you can have two people in the frame, like interacting with each other, even though they're the same person. Does this make any sense? Yeah, yeah. I can't completely contradict mine, but yeah, that there'd be that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they, they, they use. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, so that movie used that, and like, uh, air, like every movie does that now. Like the Kaufman movie does that, and they also use CGI and stuff. Like Double Impact uses like 1940 split screen technology, and it's it's uh -huh. not done well at all. Like there were movies that came out 30, 40 years before that that did a better job, and like it did, the movie didn't have a small budget. It, it was like 15 million in 1991. That wasn't anything to sneeze at. Like whereas yeah. Bloodsport, like. It's it's not well shot, but like they made the movie for like a buck and a half. Like you can you can kind of understand that. Double Impact reminded me a lot of uh, so that last week I watched uh, Face Off again. Oh, great one! Which which does not have like uh, you know there's no split screen, but they both both of them do this thing where you play the uh, a cornball and and a uh, you know libidinal badass. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I mean that's like. 
that's like the skill of an actor, right? Like being able to, you know, kind of play two roles at once. And like you start off as one guy and then you become the other guy. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's like one of the reasons why I think face off is so great because like you see him as like, he's already shown himself to be the villain, Nick Cage, but then like you see like the changes that go on in his face or whatever. And his his affect that make him the good guy. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, the funniest, the funniest thing is when, um, you know, when he's the, uh, when he's the good guy, uh, sorry, I don't know how to explain this. When the good guy is in the bad guy's body for the first time, like women walk up to her and like, oh, you raped me last week. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and he's like, uh, he doesn't know really, know really how to take it. Uh, yeah, that, that is kind of fun. <laughs> How the other half lives. Another thing we wanted to talk about was, um, is Van Damme a rambling man? What do we think? So uh, what, this is something that I think you see in a lot of these. Uh, so I watch a lot of action movies. Uh, the best, uh, have you guys seen Streets of Fire? I actually haven't. Uh, it's a great, it's a great movie. It's, I mean, it's really great. It, it's very, it, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's really great. But the, the director, he imagined it, uh, well, as a, like, one of the things about action movies, action movies get sequels. There are four blood sports. Uh, <laughs> the, the guy that made Streets of Fire, he imagined it to be like, uh, you know, the next Star Wars, like six movies. One of the things about if your movie is going to have a sequel, you got to break up at the end of the movie. You, you got to. There's yeah. no way. There's no yeah. way to do this. There's no way to maintain a relationship from one movie to the next. Uh, Hollywood is going to get rid of any actress you have by the by the next by the, the time you get funding and the movies filmed three years later. That woman will not be able. She'll be too old to be in movies uh, yeah. that's, anymore. That's not all of that though. But also, it's like that's like especially for the female audience. Like the 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 hero earns the love of the. You know, protagonist lady is a huge part of it. like even in movies like now with the, these shitty Marvel movies where they make 50 billion of them and they're like on contract like every time if there's like two characters who are get together some something contr- some contrivance comes up where the next in the next movie they're they're mad at each other and they have to do it all over again mm-hmm. you know keeps them working yeah I mean because yeah. women like if, when a woman tunes in she wants to no gonna get us canceled like she wants to she wants the guy to like to court the woman well if at the end of the movie they're together like what's gonna happen they're just gonna be like a regular couple and the next one hell no they don't want to see that they want to so now she's angry at chris pratt again for whatever reason yeah Uh, by by the way i highly highly recommend uh streets of fire the cast is outrageous it's got uh Mm. the bad guy is willem dafoe oh Uh, sweet oh yeah i'd watch anything with him yeah the love interest is diane lane uh, she looks really good in it. Uh, there, well, Rick Moranis. It, it's just like it's it's a crazy good cast. I highly recommend that. Yeah. Well, in the movie, yeah. uh, in, in Bloodsport, uh, at one point, Jean Claude Van Damme gambles for the reporter with the Chinese Arabs. Like he he, he gambles away her, right. her freedom, right? Well, yeah, it, it goes back to not even to say something that's so obvious, but it goes back to your basic sort of manosphere pua stuff it's like yeah women want men who are focused on them and, and, and all that 
Sort of, but then not really. Actually, they want a guy who <laughs> will 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 neg will neg you a little bit. Will you know has his own like it's like women both want. I don't know. Women both want to Ooh. be the pri- a guy's priority and not like it's actually attractive that he has his sights set elsewhere. That makes him that much more attractive. That he has to go back to base at the end. I would say crucially, yeah. it's not like for him. And obviously, it's an act. It's a movie. But for him in the movie, it's not an act. Like, he's not, like, gaming her. Like, game didn't really even exist then. And, well, it always existed. That's another story. But, like, he, like, legitimately, like, yeah, he wants to sleep with her. But after he's done, he's got to hang out on the roof and do his stretches and, you know, do his (laughs) Van Damme time. And then, like, you know, when the movie's over, it's like, yeah, back to base. I got to go. And, like, she's this reporter is incredibly horny for him. And, you know, to some extent, the fact that he like, I don't think, you know, and we're getting into like gender theory or whatever here, but I mean, I don't think women want men who actually dislike them necessarily. They more want men who are so high status that they um, have other stuff they need to do, like brood on the roof or uh, win kumites. Well, I mean, so a, a woman can can uh, be highly attracted to you and hate your guts. So no, that, that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that, that, that's not a problem. I, I guess the interesting thing there and the rambling man thing there. So what? What's a, the rambling man? He the rambling man loves the woman more than anything. I mean, that the, he just really, really loves you, but he has to ramble. He's got to go. It's 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 <laughs> it's time to go. And, and, you know, in Bloodsport, we see this fight. So she, like, so she is a ambitious reporter. And this is a huge scoop. This is like an ama- this would be an amazing story to, 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 to bring back. And she's, you know, she's got this, the, the little uh, tape recorder thing. She's getting the story. But then she, she basically, uh, she wants to throw this away. She says she tries to get the, the Kumite stopped because she, because of love, right? Because she, she loves him too much and she didn't want to die. Him, it, this this is the rambling man thing. Is that he he loves you, but his purpose comes first. And uh, I, I think that I think that's that's always important. And this is something that that's big in gender relations, even in politics or whatever. Is that like um you know it, you know I, I always think of Caesar and stuff like that. It's like women like like Caesar, but the thing is like you, you he's never going to be yours because uh because of his job is, is too demanding. Uh, so you, you must like, if this is what you want, it's like, it's like a woman, if you want a guy in a band, you must accept that um, he's not going to be wrapped around your finger. He's going to be gone on tour and stuff that this, this kind of thing. And that's, that's the, that is the rambling man is that he has this higher purpose and women like that. They want to conquer the, the rambling man. They want to make the, the, the rock star stay at home, not go on tour anymore. But the problem is once they do that, they don't you're not they're not attracted to you loses the appeal yeah exactly exactly classic tragic even <laughs> yes yeah because the you old- are what you do you are the reason why she liked you in the first place is because you were the rock star not because you were just a, you're you were a, a guy that was so awesome that happened to be in a band uh so this is why you are not the guy anymore once you're, you're not the rock star yeah and i mean not to get too much into the uh you know politics of uh you know, this stuff now, but, um, yeah, family formation is something that, you know, helps keep people together. So like after a certain point, like if you're a father or whatever, you're not a rock star anymore. And one of the things that keeps your woman from leaving you for another rock star is the fact that she's had your children and is older. 
And <laughs> in today's world, well, things are a little bit different. The, the ultimate rambling man thing that happens in his movies happened in Kickboxer. And uh, like, so in the movie, his love interest gets, uh, this point, the Kickboxer is like kind of a funnier movie in the start. It's got more comic relief stuff in it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a more lighthearted movie. And then, like, somewhere in the, like, second act, his love interest gets, like, brutally sexually assaulted, right? And, yeah. and uh, like, because of him, like, this guy just sexually assaults her just to make him angry, right? So, uh, and he finds out about this, and then he beat he beats the guy in the fight in the end, right, who, who, who raped his girlfriend, did all this stuff, and you know, crippled his brother. And, you know, so the fight's over, and he, he runs over to the stands, and, like, he hugs his brother first. Like, okay, it's his brother. He's got his back broken. <laughs> He goes over and he like he, he he I think he pats the black guy on the shoulder. He pets the dog, and then he goes and hugs his girlfriend. It's like the dog, the, the, the he, he made sure to pet the dog first. I was like, that is the most ice cold shit I have ever seen. They, I mean, they might not have done that on purpose. That might have just been like he he was writing it was an oversight. I was like, holy shit, that was brutal. Uh, yeah, Van Damme has been reading Heart East, clearly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a brutal one. Uh, by the way, uh, so uh, more small things from Bloodsport. So E-Honda comes from the character uh, that, that uh, you, you can tell. I mean, so he does the, uh, the bear hug. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like the, the half sumo diaper thing going on. That is, that is where E-Honda comes from. Guys, I you should take out this thing that Bruce Lee does and Chong Lee does in this movie, where uh, this is like an Asian thing. I've I've I don't know I don't want to get I don't know what I'm talking about here, but I've heard that Asian people they basically like uh, evacuate their nose in the morning. I yeah, yeah that was so yeah, weird totally. that Chong Lee keeps doing that before fights. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy blowing his nose for? It feels good. Try it. everyone. You just just. Uh, <laughs> Just, okay. uh, uh, you know, expel whatever boogers you have, whatever, whenever you're getting hype, whenever you're working out and stuff. Uh, just uh, 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 do that. No doubt. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bolo's. Act, so, one thing is just, uh, clearly, I don't know if you've seen Bolo Young and his other movies, Chong Lee in this movie. Um, I mean, he is on a lot of juice in this flick. I mean, oh, he yeah. is freaking huge, and he's not that huge in other movies. Maybe this that was like toward the tail end of his age because he, he does kind of look really old and all the other. Uh, all the other uh, uh, movies that, that he's in uh, with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, he's on a ton of juice. His, but his acting was great. The be his best moment was when um, when Jackson says, "I'm going to kill you." Uh, just if you're watching the movie, watch for that scene in particular. His uh, Bola Young's acting is is ridiculously good in, in that part. Yeah. By the way, maybe worth plugging. Um, Bloodsport is free on YouTube. So. Uh, no, uh, no, like weird websites where you have to go and watch the movie free. You don't even have to have any subscriptions. If anyone's listening to this and wants to check it out, you can hop on YouTube. And uh, yeah, that's how I watched it. It's kind of but one, one more there. Yeah. thing that's super important about Bloodsport: Kowloon Walled City. So that the city they go to. So this is very. So the guy explains it a little bit, but you can barely hear him. So, uh, <laughs> but basically, uh, you know. England used to own Hong Kong, whatever. Uh, but there was a part, there was a part in between what China owned, and what England owned, that they got caught up in a paperwork dispute, and so it became like literally the only place in the world that was like just like no one got like uh, neither side was able to claim it. 
So like that was Colon Wall City was a perfectly libertarian place. There was zero government. <laughs> there was no oh, okay. government. Oh wow, I, I didn't even pick up on that. I know yeah. that like Kowloon is now like an area in Hong Kong, like Brooklyn or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, they talk about the Kumites being mob run, which probably is part more or less. But mob yeah, run, that's just part and parcel of that. Yeah. That's also, interesting. It was like it was a totally lawless libertarian like area, Kowloon. Yeah. And so and that, that whole place was where, where that was at. This is where if you so uh, I don't know how many movies, how much cyberpunk stuff has come from just the couple scenes where he's walking through the, the, uh, the these 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 uh, dingy halls of Kowloon because there's no government. There's just sort of like electronic. There's like a, a, a power lines just running everywhere. It's totally chaotic. People just build on top of the other house. There's no building permits, obviously. Uh, so the Kowloon, uh, of course, the, the tragic thing. So Kowloon, it was beautiful. I mean, so in this cyberpunk way, if you have any interest in this, uh, I mean, uh, if, you, if you like anything that's like cyberpunk or something, I think it, it, it was it's beautiful. It looks really cool. Well, uh, it's gone now. Uh, the, the, the British demolished it. Uh, they left like one little part of it as like a, a memorial, but that city is is completely gone now there's that there's no city that, that yeah that's no i i was about to say i have a friend i visited him a little while ago in hong kong he lives in kowloon and like uh, that's like brooklyn so <laughs> uh but yeah no i mean that's that's interesting that it it was this it was an autonomous zone as they say yeah absolutely you were talking about young being on juice uh i just want to <laughs> from double impact it, has there ever been a female bodybuilder that was as attractive as Corey Everson? Oh, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, that was an interesting. I almost put that in the notes. Like, she is like, you know, what? She's got to be like 6'1", at least. She, she She's, you know, buff, but she did. Like, a lot of those female bodybuilders use so much juice, like, they, they turn into men. But uh, if you watch her in that movie – not the case for her. The, uh, the frisk me scene was, uh, I, I was, I was surprised. That was a an interesting piece of cinema. If you, the, I wouldn't recommend the movie, but I recommend going on YouTube and looking up that scene. She's not like there's, you know, they have the different categories of women's bodybuilding. There's like fitness where, uh, but she's like on the, I mean, she was like jacked a lot, a lot of, a lot of juice. She yeah. makes it look easy. Really, she, right. she 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 was. How did she? How do you? How did she juice? But like her face didn't turn into a man's face. Okay. That, well, I mean, if you want to get into it, they 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 have steroids like Anovar and stuff like that that have that don't okay. have so much androgenic effect. Gotcha. Understood. Yeah. Well, on that note, I I think we probably covered most of everything and we're we're coming on about two hours and 40 minutes maybe uh it's time yeah. to uh to pack it in on the uh the damn good time with the good old boys yeah I was, what my notes, the one of the other thing i had was um the one, one of the other the interesting things that i thought about this movie was Bolo's like he he's got this very uh chong lee has this very unique fighting style where he's he looks like he just got out of bed uh, at the very beginning, and, and you know, he's trying to 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 affect this ultimate casual thing. Like, I'm not even bothered. This is no sweat at all, and he just did a really good job. It looks really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's like he's got an amazing kind of like because he is a real fighter. He has like a real like you know presence in the ring and or in the ring, the 
you know, this ramp, whatever they have in the Kumite. And, yeah. um, and then the same for Van Damme. Like, like clearly when you put real fighters in the movie, it just, you know, it flows better. And yeah, maybe we'll, uh, we'll turn off the recording, I guess, unless you guys have uh, any more to, to add. No, no. No, uh, we should chill uh, one more time. So uh, patreon.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's get this <laughs> in. Yeah. Good old boys. Uh, yeah. With a Z. Yeah, G-O-D-O-L-B-O-Y-Z. That's it. And you guys are on Twitch, too, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our stuff is – we're uh, we record once a week on, on, on Twitch. This stuff is not always up there, but with that stuff always ends up on the Patreon. So, yeah. Gotcha. And so do you actually, I was going to ask this earlier, do you guys actually game on Twitch? I forgive my relative lack of familiarity with you compared to Dan, but do you guys actually, I know you were, we talked about being accused of being gamers. Is there any gaming element to any of what you do? Not yet. We have a plan. We're going to do, uh, we're going to do, uh, like board games and stuff, but nothing like you would, you oh, okay. would normally. Think nah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Just wanted to I played that. the NBA awesome. game on the stream a couple of times, but like, uh, not a lot of overlap between political, uh, political podcast listeners and watching people play NBA 2K. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. I mean, we talked about the NBA a couple of times on this, so you never know the, the connections can be, uh, can be out there. They can be, out uh, speaking yeah. of which, if you guys got a lot of pull in the right wing community, Get to Second City Bureaucrat to fight me in Street Fighter. Hell yes. Uh, <laughs> I want to yeah. see this. He claims yes. to be good. I will I will whoop his ass. So um <laughs> all right. Well let's yeah. I don't Before, personally know uh city bureaucrat, but like uh maybe somewhere else. Sure we know people who know. We definitely know people who do. We definitely have listeners who do. So listeners, well, let's make it happen. Let's yeah, let's do this. The show or, or just or just take note that that he's ducking, dodging, and just generally afraid mm-hmm. to step in the ring with. Second city, uh-huh. gotta gotta step up. And, yeah, blood sport um, for the podcast yeah. crew. No, I, I just want to say uh, that you know, thanks again for coming on, and just you know, personally, I listen to you guys like twice a week. One of my favorite podcasts. Like, I, I legitimately, when I want to know like what people think of the news, like I listen to you guys. I listen to Tinksorg. I listen to Fredo. And like this is a valuable um, follow, so like you guys, you guys should listen to the good old boys. Yeah, that's, seconded that's, and absolutely appreciate you guys coming on. That's all. That's all we care about. Uh, so you know, a lot of other shows are like trying like uh, convince you of things. We have political ideas, of course, but uh, we have plenty of people listening that don't agree with us. Uh, and I think most important, like you're, uh, I think uh, you'll be entertained. Better men. Yeah. Oh, and also these guys, like you have like all sorts of guests on who are like, you know, across the spectrum, across not like the autism, <laughs> across the, like you have Nagel, yeah, you have uh, Yarvin, you have, um, you know, professors who are like very interesting, like Badia and, um, oh, the Pro Felicity guy. I loved his stuff. Um, that guy's yeah. A genius. yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, Though the one thing I, I have to ask, when is this boss tweet episode coming? <laughs> Sorry guys. Sorry, yeah. No, no, we, we need that. We need that. Like I haven't written we need to we need to record that. He has we, a very ambitious idea for an episode. It's gonna be different than anything we've ever done, so that's why it's taking so long to cook it up. Is it gonna be choose your own adventure? 
the uh, on Twitch people get to <laughs> chime in and be like, "Oh, well, if you did this, uh, what would have happened?" I don't. I don't. Like, I, I mean, I'm genuinely like the thing is like. Uh, I mean, this is one of the things that, that sort of brought this to because I talk about it all the time that like I gen- like I I I strongly uh, uh, I feel very strongly about this, this this person. I think other people would if they saw it through the things that I did the same thing with Caesar like see like um I think it like I I think he's got it's a very hero worship he's he's got a very compelling story that's just never presented that none of these books they just uh, I, I've read, I bought three books about him and they just blow past the entire part of his life that, that's so interesting and that's the part I want to bring and yeah looking forward to it <laughs>